Hello and welcome to a belated installment of the Weekly Stuff Podcast. They often are, Jonathan. They often are. Indeed. I am Jonathan Lack. And I am Sean Chapman. You're belated, Jonathan. Sean Chapman. (laughs) We're both belated. Yeah. And we're here to talk about stuff. We're here to talk about Doctor Who and some Marvel news and some other things that have come up. It's been another three weeks since the last episode. Apologies. Um, You know, things, shit happens. Yeah. Basically, what I mean, I think we warned about this last time. Yeah, I was right in the middle of some busy stuff too. Like I uh, basically, and I, I'll just say this right now because I want to explain because I'm also putting more stuff up on the website right now, some movie reviews and things like that. I had been working all uh, fall so far on this big thesis project I was doing at school that took up a lot of my time. It was long. Finally done with all of that, and I'm getting back into some other stuff. So hopefully, more time for podcasting and writing. Uh, put two pieces up on the website, JonathanLight.com. So far this weekend, I had a piece on Interstellar, the new Chris Nolan movie. You have not seen that, right? No, no, okay. not yet. Just want to make sure. And uh, I really liked it. And I think if, you know, I don't I don't want to go into it too much here. I might talk about some other movies I've seen lately. Basically, I really, really enjoyed Interstellar. I think it's a really, really interesting movie. And it's not a review, what I put up, so much as a... Would you call it a stellar film? No, because I would want to kill myself. <laughs> Okay. It's very good. Very good. Uh, definitely recommend it. The review on the site is less of a review than sort of an in-depth examination of the movie because it's got spoilers and kind of goes in deep on a lot of the plot points and whatnot. So read that if you've seen the movie, which I'm sure many of you will have done by the end of the weekend. And uh, so got that. I just put up a review last night of this new movie that comes to Denver where we are next weekend but is in New York and L.A. right now. And it's called The Theory of Everything. That's a new Stephen Hawking movie. Stephen Hawking yeah. movie. It was good. I was impressed. I, you know, I think those sorts of things, biopics, are a really hit and miss proposition. Yeah, yeah. They and can I be was pretty rough. And I think especially with something like Stephen Hawking, especially because he is obviously disabled, and Hollywood's track record with representations yeah. of disabled people, especially in a biopic, that's really not good. So the mm-hmm. odds were stacked against this movie. It's really interesting. I think it's a very well done film. I don't know if it's a great movie. Um, you know, it doesn't completely transcend some of the biopic limitations, but I, I don't think you can at a certain point. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's tough to put a person's life into a movie. Um, but it's really good. I think what it does interestingly is that it's less about Stephen Hawking on his own than this dual biopic about him and his first wife Jane, and so it's sort of about this sort of personal human side of the man. Um, rather than kind of focusing heavily on some of his scientific accomplishments and whatnot. And I think that could disappoint some people if they're going into it for certain reasons, because obviously Stephen Hawking's scientific advancements are fascinating. Yeah. Um, but you can find out about that anywhere. This is, and I think this is more cinematic. Yeah, yeah. When, than, you're wanting, when you're watching a movie, like I don't know how you would make a movie about someone yeah. like establishing a bunch of theories about stuff. Right. And, you know, the science they offer is interesting, and it's very well acted by Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones, and it's got beautiful cinematography and music, so definitely very good movie. Um, the rare biopic that I felt fully engaged by, and not feeling like, okay, quit cutting every five years, yeah. every five seconds or something. It's weird. So yeah, good movie. Um, seen a bunch of other movies. Maybe I'll talk about that in a little bit. That's the other thing, is because I've had time now, I've gone yeah. back to the theater and tried to catch up on things, because this has been a pretty good month well, I guess we're into November now. October was pretty good. November is shaping up to be pretty good. November is also shaping up to be absolutely fucking insane for video games. But yeah, talk about that more. I mean, in a it, bit. Always, it always, it always, it always is. is. So on this episode, I think the main topic this week is we are wrapping up Doctor Who series eight. We're going to talk about the penultimate episode in the Forest of the Night, and then the two-part finale, Dark Water and Death in Heaven. Yes. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, and then we'll do a wrap up on the season as a whole. And when we get to that part, maybe we'll have more positive things to say. Mm-hmm. 
little preview of coming attractions there. But we are also going to talk about the big Marvel Phase 3 movie announcements plan because we usually talk about that stuff, so I just feel like we should follow up on it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple other bits of news. But for now, let's just go with just general stuff. Sean, you have right. played Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Yes, yes I have. Which is like, I was not really planning on it, but I had it been like a month or so since like I finished Shadow of Mordor, so I hadn't really played any video games in a really long time. And I had just been spending like all my time reading books for classes. And so the reviews came out for the new Call of Duty, and I was looking at them, and I just like was watching some videos. I was like, I just had this epiphany that's like the last fucking Call of Duty game I played came out in fucking 2009. Like, because the last one I played was Modern Warfare 2. So it's been a really, really long time. So it's like, oh, fuck it. I'll just download this one because you can just, I don't have to like make it a big thing where you have to go fucking go to a store and all that shit. And also, it was really weird. I had no idea about this. Call of Duty basically launched on Monday if you bought the Day Zero edition. Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, it was like if you pre-ordered the game, I guess you got it on Monday, but since you can just kind of pre-order the game whenever, even on Monday, since it technically comes out on Tuesday, you just get the version that comes out on Monday. So it's like you pre-order it and then you just get it. And I don't know what else. I think all you get, unless you buy like the Super Duper edition, is you just basically get the game in like maybe like an emblem or something. <laughs> it's just like sitting because I since I had no idea about that, I was just going to preload the game for it on, to get it on Tuesday. And I was looking at it in the store. It's like, what do you mean Day Zero Edition? What does that? What the fuck does that mean? It's like what? And I'm like, well, okay. If I can just play the game now, I'll just play the game now. So Sean, I, Sean, yeah. it's math. Zero comes before one. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that's the logic. It should really be like. Negative day negative one really I don't know day zero makes no sense yeah I mean zero is not a negative number like it's, yeah yeah zero is nothing like yeah. it's exactly nothing you can't have a day zero that day would not exist that should be like an episode of Doctor Who but anyway it would probably be bad I'm gonna come up most most episodes of the, okay maybe I shouldn't say that most episodes of Doctor Who are good that's maybe it's not that might not be Here, right. let me let me just put it this way yeah. most episodes of Doctor Who are not bad they're not necessarily sure, good yeah. but I think there's a gap between good and bad there's yeah. a nether space. There's a zero. Anyways, <laughs> so I downloaded Call of Duty Advanced Warfare the day before it came out, but it was really the day it came out. And I have, I think yesterday now I finished the campaign, just sort of like playing it piecemeal. And I think it's pretty good. Like, I'm kind of surprised that Call of Duty is still, it's like, it's still Call of Duty. Like, seriously, like I said, the last time one I played was Modern Warfare 2. And they have made changes, and they've made some pretty important changes. Before a franchise that I have not touched on for five years, I was kind of surprised by particularly like the the structure of the campaign is like the exact same. It's got a, it has a bit more of like the pacing stuff that I liked from Call of Duty Four, but like because Modern Warfare Two I thought like was just like fucking batshit crazy the campaign and had no sort of like quieter moments, and this campaign definitely has those, but it still has the like babysitter first person campaign shooter design of you are always with someone on all of your missions, and it's almost always the same dude. This time it's a guy named Gideon, because I guess they can't have Captain Price anymore. And so you just follow this guy Gideon around, and he opens doors for you, and tells you where to go. And he has a little yellow blip above his uh -huh. head that just says follow constantly, because like 99% of your objectives in the game are just follow Gideon. And like the other 1% is just kill everybody, is just eliminate enemies. So that's kind of like the campaign design in the, which I don't love, but 
for a campaign that's only like six or seven hours long, I thought it was it's enjoyable. You know, it runs at a really solid sixty frames per second. The game looks really, really good because it's designed clearly for next gen consoles, and I played it on the PS4. Can I just say I've played a little bit of this game too? I've played about yeah. four missions, and I will say this is the first Call of Duty game I've ever looked at and gone, "Wow, that's a good looking game." Yeah, it's yeah, especially because since it's also set in like the relatively near future, it's like twenty fifty or something. It's avoids that problem that old Call of Duties like Call of Duty 4 and stuff had of just being really visually bland and brown all the Mm -hmm. time. There's a lot more sort of color and cool futuristic nonsense. And they definitely have some fun with their future tech, even if there's some stuff that I thought like maybe they could have gone a little bit farther and stuff that you could actually use in gameplay. But they have some cool stuff like in the campaign, there's these certain scripted sequences where you put down these like mute charge things that just like make the area around you really quiet and it's like the the sound design of the game is really good, so the sound effect is really really solid. Of like, it almost sounds like you're underwater. It's just a really cool effect. It makes you feel like okay, we're going in for some like stealthy fucking badass shit here. And then the the big change is you have since it's the future, you have these like exosuits on, which basically all that means is instead of knifing people, you punch them when you melee, which is pretty cool. And then you also have this like double jump. Sometimes in the campaign, like it depends on the mission whether or not you have the double jump. But multiplayer, you always have the double jump. And then you also, if you sprint when you're like moving backwards or side to side or when you're jumping, you will like do a little like dash in that direction. So it increases your mobility pretty significantly, and it also allows you in multiplayer to like traverse buildings and stuff really, really quickly and get like vertical positions on people. And that definitely changes it up. Although like. I just still found myself playing the multiplayer. While that does make differences, it still feels super Call of Duty multiplayer in the sense of, like, you know, your like, time to kill in multiplayer is still, like, half of a second. You know, it's one of those, like, you see a dude, you shoot him, or he shoots you, whoever shoots the other person first, that person's dead, and then you respawn instantly and run out and die, probably, or you get, like, three kills and then you die. It's still that same thing. Although the custom the customize the customization for your classes is a lot more sophisticated because you can really mix and match anything you want. Like you have this, I think it's twelve different points system that you have, where it's like a like your assault rifle would be one point, and then like a silencer on it would be another point. A sidearm would be a point. Like any all of your like three perks would be different points, and like each grenade you have would be another point. And so you have these like twelve points that you can use. And just kind of fill that up with everything you want. And everything is completely customizable. Like if you want to have no perks. But just have like your assault rifle and your sidearm be like soup the fuck up. And have really good like grenades. You could do that. Or if you don't like having kill streaks, You can just say no kill streaks, And I'll just make everything else I have better. I think that system is really good. Nice. Yeah so overall like it's still very much Call of Duty. So if you're someone who doesn't like Call of Duty that much. I don't think this would change your mind. Like, it doesn't change my mind on sort of the Call of Duty franchise. You're not going to go back and play it every year now? No, no, I don't. This will probably be be the last Call of Duty game I play unless they really change things up and make something really crazy. Because, like... That's definitely true for me because I have played, like I said, about an hour, hour and a half of the campaign. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't grab me. And granted, I think I'm in a mood these days where... Whatever for whatever reason, new games on the PS4 are not grabbing me because I tried since last time. I have tried Middle Earth: Shadow of Mordor a bunch, mm-hmm. and it never grabbed me. And I'm just not going to play it because there's really nothing there that interests me. I sure I made me want to play a Batman game basically, but just the actual like system of the game, it just felt the whole game felt kind of clunky to me. So wasn't really into that. I tried Wolfenstein: The New Order, 
Maybe yeah. I need to give that another try. Maybe I just wasn't in a first really person like shooter. I think that game that night. takes a little bit to get going. It does? I think you should stick okay. with it a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't grab me. It definitely it took me a couple of hours to really get into it, but once I got okay. into it. Now with yeah. Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, I was I was impressed by some of the improvements they made. Honestly, the biggest improvement I noticed is that the game has fucking cutscenes finally. Yeah. Like that yeah. was a huge yeah, problem. Yeah, instead of doing the like thing that all the ones since four have done of like when you're loading, here's the map, and here's Captain Price and, like, Ghost talking over this map while, like, it goes, like, boop, 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 and zooms in on little bits. <laughs> like, yeah. Why couldn't you just have, like, a cutscene with, like, characters or something at some point, Call of Duty? Absolutely, and as a result, I thought the sort of just the story and the tone and the, the world of the game came through a lot clearer in just these 90 minutes than I think yeah. it would in an entire eight-hour campaign before to me. Like, mm-hmm. just... And, and there's a lot of... The cutscenes are good. I think they're well-directed. The facial animation in the game is stunning. Yeah. yeah. I think there are some limitations. Like, Kevin Spacey should not have just been playing Kevin Spacey, at least in what I saw, because I... Like, I've just, you know, in the last year seen two seasons of House of Cards. I don't know why I don't like that show, but I did watch two seasons of it. And he is such an expressive actor with his face. Mm-hmm. And it distracted me seeing him doing all of his vocal stuff, but his face is just kind of still... Yeah. So that kind of bothered me, but other than that, like I thought the facial animation was interesting. The worlds and the production design and the art direction of the game was a lot better than it usually is for Call of Duty. That's nice, and they've obviously added a lot of cool gadgets on top of things. Yeah. And I think some of the shooting maybe is a little more fun as a result or whatever. But it's just it's a lot of you know drapery on the exact same game I've played a million yeah. times before. And it's a corridor shooter. You run down the corridor, you shoot. And I shouldn't even say you get to run down the corridor because your AI guy you're yeah, following you get is to run always behind slower. The yeah. dude. Like that fucking started driving me crazy yes. as I got to the end of the campaign. Just like every time I'm in a corridor that like only one person can fit down, and I'm just like sprinting and trying to jump over the fucker in front of me. It's like just yeah. move. Like I can fucking play video games. Just let me play video. Like I wish there should seriously be a thing. Like you should be able to pick an option that's just like erases Gideon from the game. Yes. And you can... And it just, like, adds a press X to open door button. And so you can just, like, all of a sudden, it's like, fucking hallelujah. I can open doors on my own. I can just run down hallways. If I want to explore the environments, I don't have this fucking British fuck yelling at me constantly. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Let's... We have to go, Troy Baker. Because your guys played by Troy Baker. Which is good. I mean, any game where the first lines of dialogue are Troy Baker, I will play some. And it's also funny, too, because they use performance capture, but... And they... But they clearly, like, designed the character, like, off of Troy Baker himself because he looks like Troy Baker, which is weird because I've never seen that. So it's like, it's weird to see his voice coming from him in a video game. Uh, it's in The Second Son, it looks like him. Kind of, but, like... Like it's it's his kind of facial structure, but I feel like it's not exactly Troy Baker. Yeah, like this is like it's just fucking Troy Baker. Okay. Only his hair is like more brown. Right. But yeah. Well, like, anyway, so it's just it, like all of those things kind of compound, especially the follow thing, because we're making jokes. I really do think it's a huge problem. Like, yeah, I, I think it's because why does the game have a sprint button? Because at a certain point, you're never allowed to sprint. Because Gideon doesn't sprint; yeah. he just walks as slower than you walk, yeah. even. So you have to like lightly tap the control stick, and it's like this is not fun. This yeah. is boring. And then also, it like, because Gideon, that character, has also just really annoyed me. Because he's the character who, like, for the first half of the game, he's your, like, officer in charge. And so he's just constantly, like, kind of, like, breaking your balls and being like, Oh, you're not that good, Mitchell, because that, that, that's your character's name. It's like, you're whatever. Like, you're not that great. And then I'm just looking at this, like, because you actually have, since you can get upgrades at the end of campaign missions based on, like, 
kills, you get headshot kills, grenade kills, and the collectibles you find will give you points. So there's like a tally of the kills you have, like over the course of the campaign, at the bottom of the screen, after every mission when like fucking Gideon would be like, you're not so awesome. I just look at that and it's like, I killed 300 people! I am like the best soldier! And that's not like, I'm not some guy who killed 300 people because I dropped a bomb. I personally went out there and shot every single one of them. I killed 300 people today, you British fuck. What did you do? You just fucking walked in front of me and got in the way. I cannot tell you how many times I shot Gideon on accident because he would just walk right the fuck in front of me. It's so, yeah. I fucking hated that guy. I know. He's a real Here, cocksucker. Here's the other thing I want to talk about because I thought this was one of the most bizarre structural decisions I've ever seen in a game. You open Advanced Warfare with this big, kind of awesome, sprawling level in, in Korea... Where, yeah. again, North Korea is taking someone over. And for some reason, America's yeah, involved. South Korea, yeah. And, like, yeah. they don't really get into the geopolitics of that. Just, like, yeah. have fucking... Which is good. Call of Duty should not get into yeah. geopolitics. They understand literally nothing about the world. That's and then, another yeah, thing I And noticed. then, of course, you do the orbital drop thing in a pod, yes. like Halo-style. And that never goes well for anybody. No. And it just makes it, like, people should just use parachutes again. Because this seems to fuck up way more often than that did in video games. But that's a good mission, right? That yeah. first mission? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. good. It's a good start mission, yeah. It's a start mission, and it's also, it's a fully fleshed out mission. It feels like a full Call of Duty mission. Yeah. Then, you go and do training and target practice. Yeah. What the fuck? It's a weird thing that, like, video games... I feel like it's it happens more and more these days where, like, they're trying to play with the pacing of campaigns and stuff. So it's like they want to have, like, the big, awesome opening, but then they need to have the tutorial stuff. So you can't have the awesome opening and do the tutorial at the same time because it's just, like, it's too hard to do. But you don't need the so tutorial. Then, yeah, so then, but then by the time you get to, like, the tutorial, the tutorial is no longer needed. You're exactly yeah. right. It, it's a really weird pacing thing. That was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean... It's, because it's the same Call of Duty tutorial that they've had since 4 also because yeah. it's like the oh you're walking around and like shooting like you know like targets that instead of them being like paper targets or whatever now they're like yeah. digital targets but it's the same thing like the only new they have this new it's like the VAT system or Deadeye or something mm-hmm. the way you slow down time yeah yeah like I but, never really use that in missions it's yeah I didn't useful. but I mean that's what they're t- training you yeah, on yeah yeah there's a tutorial but, mission for it I mean all you do is you press up on the fucking D-pad yeah. you don't need a giant tutorial mission for it so in any case, maybe I'll play the rest of this because it's a short campaign. And it is yeah. fun. I mean, Call of Duty is never not enjoyable on some level, but it's like, I just, I've played it. And yeah, I and sometimes it feels like that campaign structure just gets in the way of itself. Yeah. Because it feels, especially like for me, coming back to it after not having played a campaign like that for five years, it feels super archaic because most other major first person shooters have like gone in the complete opposite direction. You know, like Bioshock Infinite or Far Cry 3 or Destiny are like big and open and expansive and they do not do the thing of like you're going to follow a guy down. Because, you know, it makes sense for Call of Duty on a certain level. I understand why they do it because they want to have their big action movie moments. But I feel like you can kind of figure out a way to do that and still give the player free reign, you know? Like, I definitely at the very th- least let me open my own fucking doors, you know? I definitely think the... Re- ridiculous level of critical hype for this game yeah. when it came out kind of it shows that i think gaming critics do like just safety in games at a certain point although to because... be fair like it's like this game has gotten a fair number of like eight out of ten kind of level reviews which is you know for other mediums is maybe not like that great but for like or like for video games a major release getting like an eight out of ten is relatively still new yeah but it's just i don't know Destiny got fives out of ten, so it's just it's a weird thing. Well, except for it also got a lot of six out of tens. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. It got six out of tens. It got some like eight out of tens. But like, I feel like like this game, even though this game is probably better than Ghosts, like the previous Call of Duty, I didn't play it, but everything I've heard, it's better. It still has like basically the same like level of reviews. Yeah. Okay. So I think people like the ones I saw were yeah. higher than last year's. But I mean, that's the thing. Call of Duty never gets a bad review. From yeah, people. it doesn't get like like a crazy low review. Which I don't get at a certain point that someone doesn't like say like, hey, this is the exact same thing I've played before. But oh well. Well, because like I think there's like a certain review philosophy that's like, well, yeah, but the thing we played before was still really good, and it still technically I guess, but, has. But with what you're saying, I mean, I, I do agree with what you're saying though that I think gaming has evolved so far past. Like I think yeah. Call of Duty made a big jump forward with four, and it is still stuck in 2007. You know, if Mass Effect, if the next Mass Effect came out and played like Mass Effect One from two thousand seven, yeah, we would all skewer it. We would all give it ones out of tens. I mean, partially because like the series already moved on. From sure, that. but it's just it's a weird thing. I I don't know. It's fine. You've played more of the game than I have, so yeah. What would your recommendation be? I think like if you're someone who really likes Call of Duty, like yeah, fucking get it. And if you're someone like me who liked Call of Duty, like really liked Call of Duty Two and Call of Duty Four. And then, like, with the subsequent ones kind of fell off the series. Like, I think it's still really good. I think the series is still really fun. I'm enjoying the multiplayer. I mean, the main reason I got it is just because I wanted a new game to play the multiplayer. Like, just to play some multiplayer so I could kill, like, 30 minutes or something when I have nothing else to do. And that's... I think the game's still good at that. Like, it makes me a little bit frustrated because, like, it still has a lot of the same... Problems is not necessarily the right word. But the same, like, design philosophy that Call of Duty has always had that... Like, I grew to really kind of dislike the really fast time to kill in that stuff where it really feels like it sort of disincentivizes really intellectual play, you know? And it just makes it like a run out there and have the fastest reflexes kind of game a lot of the time, but... But, you know, some people like that and more power to them, you know. Call of Duty has never just given its fans the middle finger, I don't think, so that's nice. But And then one of the weird side effects of this game that, like, maybe... Maybe it's just, like, the few times I've tried to use it, but in the multiplayer, sniper rifles, I feel like, are practically useless now because people can boost and double jump and move so fast that way. It's, like, impossible to hit anybody with a sniper rifle. It is fucking... It's crazy. Like, I feel like I heard a lot of people say that about Titanfall as well, that, like, the movement in Titanfall made sniper rifle like completely perfunctory because you I don't even remember if there are sniper rifles there in Titanfall. definitely are sniper right. rifles in Titanfall because I've seen videos okay. of people playing and no, trying to use a sniper rifle and being like this is fucking impossible like now I'm I, just gonna use the assault rifle right now I remember I, I have seen a fucking sniper rifle in Titanfall and I was like what the hell is the point of this why would you have it in this game yeah Titanfall's great but that's just a weird balance yeah thing. like Advanced Warfare has the same thing where like you have this new movement paradigm that a lot of these multiplayer shooters seem to be doing because even Destiny has a little bit of that with like the movement abilities but it definitely makes certain of those weapon rolls like completely useless it's just you can get some sniper kills in advanced warfare and it's not like I'm the greatest sniper ever but I definitely was just finding it like why would you ever try to use this like this is just an impossible way to play whereas in like Call of Duty 4 I found playing as a sniper multiplayer really rewarding and fun because you got to think about it from like a different perspective. And this one's just like, maybe I'll be lucky and someone stupid enough to like just be running like it's an old Call of Duty game and not using the boost. Yeah. Who knows? By the way, did you see the announcement? I think it was last week or two weeks ago about the Dest- what's in the Destiny expansion pack. Yeah, it's pretty disappointing. Pretty, pretty anemic slate yeah. of content. Yeah. Especially like if you're an Xbox One owner, 
What? Yeah, you're, like, you're getting so, so fucked. Fuck. Like, is that's like. I think we even... should just detail, like, so what it is for the Destiny, the next Destiny expansion. It's like, what, three story missions, two, and this is for if you're PS4, two strikes, and then a raid, and like three multiplayer maps, I believe. Yeah. So, like, that's a pretty slim slice of content, especially only having three story missions is really weird. But if you're not on the PS4, and maybe the PS3 as well, you only have one strike. Yeah. So one of those strikes is Sony exclusive. And we should say there's already, and I didn't even know this, one of the strikes that's on it now is Yeah, one exclusive. of the Mars strikes is exclusive, yeah. I didn't even, already. like, my brother owns it on Xbox One and he had not known that, and I told him that, and he's like, so we only have five strikes and you guys have six? I'm like, yeah, it's like, I would like six yeah. strikes, and that's ridiculous, like, that is yeah, such a that's, ripoff. Yeah, that's a huge part of the game. Like, yeah, that's like, a, five, like, yeah, like, like, difference from five to six is pretty fucking significant on the game that's... Somewhat light on content. Yes, uh, very light on content. Let's be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just weird. Like, and there, it, what's the problem is that they're charging the same for it, and they charge the same for the base game. They charge the same for the expansion pack, and you're getting, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that you're missing an emblem or a gun. You're missing huge chunks of gameplay. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's the exclusivity stuff, man. Like, this is probably the biggest one I've ever seen because usually it's like. Like, with Call of Duty, Microsoft has had the... We get the Mac pack, like, six months or something before Sony does for a very long time. But, but they're it not still sh- comes over. I right. mean, this is going to come over to the Xbox people eventually. But it is, but here's what I was going like to say. Really long time. The difference is that the Sony people in that six months don't have to pay to get nothing. Like, yeah. it's the weird thing with... Yeah, the Destiny exclusivity is just odd. But, oh well. I, I, I And I'm going to be interested to see if that... Expansion content is enough to really get me interested in Destiny again. They also are raising the level cap to 32. Which is such a weird, yeah. like, arbitrary number. Yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I liked, you know, I liked all the time I spent with Destiny, but its longevity seems pretty non-existent at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a video game. Like, I, yeah. I didn't necessarily expect to be playing it, like, for a super long amount of time. Like, I've played it for, like, like, for, like, a month and a half, so... No, I did. I played it for, like, two months. I have 70 hours in that game. Yeah. So, yeah. I like Destiny. It's going to be high on my top ten this year. It's a good game. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Speaking of games, I mean, there's a lot coming out this November, and I just wanted to preview that, because I think that's probably what's going to drive this podcast this month, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Next week is Assassin's Creed Unity. I'm going to play that. Unless it gets, like, ones out of tens or something, I definitely want to play that. Yeah, I'm definitely... Yeah, I'm I'm really... I'm really curious to see what the reviews for that game are going to be, and yeah. also what that game itself is going to be. Yeah, well, I'm getting that. That's coming Tuesday. And then the following Tuesday is Far Cry 4, which I know I think you're yeah, getting, right? Yeah, I have right? that pre-ordered, yeah. Okay. So between the two of us, we're going to get those Ubisoft games. Yeah. And I'm excited for both. Get that Ubisoft. Yeah. And I'm excited for both. I'm they look great. I'm super fucking excited for Far Cry 4. Far Cry 3 was so good. Yeah. No, and I didn't play Fire, Far Cry 3, and I'm excited to just jump in with this one, where they've obviously... Looks like they've made it even better than yeah. before. I wonder if there's any Troy Baker in Assassin's Creed Unity because because I know he plays the villain in Far Cry Four, right? Because that would be pretty fucking incredible if like the four like major AAA releases like starting with Middle Earth all had Troy Baker in like a leading role. That'd be great. I mean, that dude is like <laughs> we didn't mention crazy prolific. Now. I love that Troy Baker also last month released an album, an yeah, indie rock yeah. album. I haven't listened to it yet, but I, I really want to. Maybe if we listen to that, we can talk. He should do, like, each song as a different character he's played in different games. <laughs> and then he could have well, an album with, like, 50 songs on it. I think there's a bonus track on it that is Will the Circle Be Unbroken. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. we got one of them. Um, yeah, so, we're going to play those. Let's see, I'm interested in Persona Q on the 3DS. Yeah, I still, I at some point I need to get around to picking up uh, Persona 4 Arena 2, because I still yeah. haven't. Like, I want a huge chunk of time to play that, because that story mode on Persona 4 Arena was, like, 
40 hours long. Oh, jeez. I mean, it's like a, it's basically like a novel. Right. At some point. No, I gotcha. So there's that. Let's see. Uh, I'm, there was a game that just came out on the 3DS actually last week that I hadn't heard of, but when it came out, I looked at the reviews and what it is, and it looks really interesting to me. It's called Fantasy Life. I don't know what that is. It's an interesting game. It's made by a lot of the people who made some of the early Final Fantasy games. So, for instance, Nobuo Uematsu wrote the music, which I will sign on for that right away because he's awesome. Um, But it's an interesting game. I guess it's a kind of cross between like a JRPG kind of battle, you know, exploration system and something like Animal Crossing where you have a town that you're kind of keeping up. And you start your roles. There's like one of 12 roles, like, you know, baker, fisherman, knight, all of these different things you can pick. And I guess you can switch between them on the fly, too. And you kind of, they each, you know, level up separately. And there's different things you can do so with them. So finally bringing real fucking jobs to the job system. That's what yes. you're telling me. Yeah. Like, I, like, fucking being a fucking knight's not a real job. Like, being a baker, that's an honest fucking job. Yes. No, it sounds like an interesting game. And, and I think people who have played it, I, I've seen some mixed reaction. Like, no one's saying it's bad, but it interests some people more than others, clearly. Yeah. Which, it's the kind of game that would do that. Yeah, That sounds interesting. Um... I think Super Smash Bros. for Wii U, I had been a little wondering if I would be interested in that game just because the 3DS version was so good and I didn't know if I would need it. And then they did that Nintendo Direct detailing everything that's in that game. Holy fuck, they went to town on yeah, Smash Bros. Like for Wii U. Eight players? There's, there's an eight-player Smash Bros. Eight yeah, I saw a video of it um, online the other day. Uh, that one seems of the... like fucking madness. It is madness. It's hilarious to watch. It's like, imagine madness. doing that and, like, turning up, like, item fucking to, like, crazy and putting, like, only hammers or something. Just, yeah. just be, you wouldn't even be able to tell what's going on. But it's great. I mean, they don't make you play eight players, so no, yeah, obviously. Right. So I mean, but it looks great. I mean, there's all these other modes. Everything you can do in the game, you can do co-op. Basically, um, it's just it's there's a lot of cool content, and the maps they have look great. It's a it's a almost totally different slate of maps from what I can tell than on 3ds. So that makes it it's the mm-hmm. same character mm-hmm. roster though. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely gonna play that game now because that looks amazing. It looks like it's. What I was excited about learning is that it's not just the 3DS version in high def. It's its yeah, own game, yeah. it looks like. And I think that's that's I mean, cool. it's Super Smash Bros. for Wii U. Yeah. Like, it's a completely different title. <laughs> right. That's still yeah. a failure. It's as different from Super Smash Bros. for 3DS as, like, Super Smash Bros. Melee is to Super Smash Bros. Brothers Brawl. Yeah. Like, obviously, they're different subtitles. And then within all of this, if there's time, I might try to pick up and play the Pokemon... Omega Ruby, I think that's what it's called, Alpha yeah, Sapphire, that Alpha remix Sapphire that's coming out. That was kind of interesting. There was a demo that came out for the 3DS. I played that. That was. It's and you're like, hey, this is a Pokemon game. Why did I download this demo? <laughs> I should say, uh, well, I played that demo and I was like, this is kind of interesting. And then I was like, oh, right, I have not finished Pokemon Y yet. And I went back and finished Pokemon Y. That Pokemon Y is a really good game, I should say. I mean, it's uh, for as Pokemon games go, it's, it's kind of the same problem a Call of Duty Advanced Warfare has, where it's really all window dressing at a certain point. Yeah. Although I think there are some mechanical changes to the game that do help it a lot. Um, but that was interesting. The last ten hours or so of Pokemon Y get weirdly dark. Like, and just kind of twisted and, like, non-Pokemon in some ways. Where, like, there's animated cutscenes and stuff. It's weird. But it's a good game. So if you haven't played that year-old game, play that year-old game. Yeah. But anyway, lots of stuff coming out in November is my point. Yeah. Actually, I want to go back to Super Smash Bros. 3DS. Because, like, talking about that made me remember... That, like, a week ago, I was up on campus, like, hanging out with some friends, and one of them had a 3DS, and I had the opportunity to play Super Smash Bros. for 3DS on his 3DS, which also happened to be the first time I ever really played anything on the 3DS at all. Okay. And so I played, like, two, no, I played three matches against, like, a level six or something CPU, and I played as Link, Sonic, and Pac-Man, and I should have to say that for someone who has never touched the 3DS, that fucking circle pad 
fuck that thing. That thing is awful. Holy fucking shit. I'm sure I would probably be able to get kind of used to it yeah. if I played the system more, but just jumping into it immediately. Well, uh, and, I on found, and, and on a game that I already like know how it's supposed to control, and like, and, you know, all the Smash Brothers stuff seemed totally fine. Like, it's, it's Smash Brothers. I thought Pac Man was kind of interesting, although I do think he should just be normal fucking old school Pac Man all the time and not be like stupid 3D Pac Man. But, yeah, that fucking circle pad, man. Holy fucking shit. Well, here's the thing. I think definitely you had a loaded demo of that because Smash Bros. is by far the most demanding game on yeah, the 3DS. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're playing Pokemon or a Persona game or any RPG where you just all you're using it for is basic movement, it's yeah. it's perfectly fine. I think it's I don't like that it has active resistance, but it's fine. It is obviously and, and I like I love Smash Bros. 3DS I have played forty hours in. I fucking yeah. love that game. It's great. But I understand if you were to have never picked up a 3DS, you pick it up for Smash Bros, and you know Smash Bros well and you try yeah. it, yes, that would be the reaction. Yeah, especially, I think a big mistake was also starting off playing as Link, who's the character I like, is my best character in Smash Bros game. It was just like, no, like this is impossible. Like it's, it's, It just feels so slippery and trying to do smash attacks with it. It made me totally understand how like people, all the stories of people like breaking their circle pad playing the game. Yeah. It's like, I think that's half them trying to play the game and half them just being so frustrated with this fucking circle pad. I will say... You have to destroy it. I will say, 40 hours, you do get good at it. I've, yeah, you know, even, yeah. I've even managed to get, like, 5,000 feet in home run contest with it. So, you know, eventually you get good at it, but it's, it's yeah. It's, yeah, but... Don't have... let that sour you on the 3DS entirely. I swear it's a good system. It's like, oh my god. It reminded me of, like, the one time... I played a PSP, like like my friend let me borrow his PSP for a little bit to just play a couple of games, and the little analog nub thing on that thing was just like, this is impossible! This wasn't made for humans! Like, I imagine it would be like if you handed a kid, like, an N64 controller today, and they, like, grabbed that, and, like, tried to use the analog stick, and, like, this isn't an analog stick, what is this? Like, it hurts! It's hurting me to use this! Yeah, it is a weird thing, but... Yeah. Alright, well, let's move on to talk about something else here. Okay, Sean, I want to take some of these news pieces kind of backwards. Okay. Let's start with the simple one. It was from this week. It was the big thing. Disney announced the title for Star Wars Episode Seven. Yes, they did, yeah. Very and recently. it's Star Wars The Force Awakens. Well, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. But here's the thing. Yeah. Every logo they show of that in every announcement just says Star Wars The Force Awakens. They're not saying Star Wars Episode it's, Seven: The Force Awakens. It must I'm, be. I know, it must but, be I, but what's going? Like it, it bothers me. Like, what's the actual title of the movie? Because your official logo for the movie now does not have Episode Seven in it. I'm it's, annoyed. It's, I, it has to. It has to have Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. That has to be it. If that's not it, like that's fucked up. Yeah, there's no. There's just nothing. Like this world is meaningless. I mean, it's one of those titles that like. It just sounds like a video game title to me. It does, like it said, because it just reminds me of Star Wars: The Force Unleashed. This is no okay video game. Yeah. So that's just that news. It's just funny that they still have told us so little about this Star Wars movie. And has, has it like is... finished principal photography and like all that shit? Like, it's... well, yes, but that's why they announced it. Is that yeah. they announced this the day they finished? They wrapped principal photography. So they're like celebrate that. Yeah. Here's our like really kind of planned subtitle. It's like okay, at least it's not Dawn of Justice. Yeah, no, it's a it's a fine title. I don't want yeah, to be yeah, down. it's not yeah like because it's like it's a subtitle. Like, who really gives a shit? Let's be honest. Most of the Star Wars subtitles are actually pretty awful. Yeah. A New Hope is really boring if you actually think about yeah. it. Or you know, the Phantom Menace. 
It's just I, like I, there's something I like about the Phantom Menace as a yeah. title. It's, I don't know. It's, it's got a little something. Right. Attack of the Clones is always one that I kind of forget is called Attack of the Clones. It is not called the Clone Wars because that's yeah. what the subtitle should have been. Because Attack of the Clones sounds like some shitty fucking fifties B movie, you know? Yeah. Well, and also the clones don't attack, and there are no Clone Wars in it. Yeah. So I don't know what it's. Anakin and Padme make out. Yeah. That's what the movie should yeah, have been. Star called. Wars Episode Two: Anakin and Padme make out while Obi Wan does some like really light, like detective shit. Yeah, the movie. Revenge of the Sith's okay. Yeah, Return Empire of Strikes. Jedi's. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back is a great fucking subtitle. Right, that subtitle is phenomenal. Return of the Jedi is pretty good. I, th- I think Revenge of the Jedi would have been the better title if they changed it. Yeah, and they're like, well, then Sith have to have a revenge. I have a neighbor, even though, even though it's like Revenge of the Sith is kind of like. Like, revenge for what? Right. Like, really? I mean, this is... It, it's like, you don't get to have revenge when the Jedi and the Sith had, like, this long-standing war way before the series even took place. Like, that's not... That's kind of bullshit. Yeah. I have a uh, neighbor who has the revenge of the Jedi poster, like, yeah. before that was altered. Nice. That's a cool poster. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was a good title. But anyway, that's the Star Wars thing. You know, everything I've heard about this movie, like, on the side that Disney is not announcing formally... Sounds really good. I like that yeah. you know they're shooting it on film. It looks like they're doing all practical effects, or I mean, not obviously not all in this day and age. That just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. But it looks like primarily practical effects, and um, you know, interesting story rumors I've heard. So I'm excited for this movie. I'm really interested to see what it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm curious to see what made the Force go to sleep, and then what will make it now awaken. Something I'm a little more ambivalent about is yeah. the same day Disney announced that Toy Story Four is coming out in 2017. <laughs> And, I and still haven't seen Toy Story 3. That's a movie I really should watch because I know everybody really likes it. It's phenomenal. I mean, I think it's the best Toy Story movie. Like, here's the thing. The Toy Story movies get better and better. I think 2 is better than 1 and 3 is better than 2 yeah. and 1. So it's... I don't I don't have any, like, like proven reason to be uneasy about Toy Story 4, except that... Other than, the, like, Toy Story 4 just sounds kind of wrong. It sounds weird. Toy Story 3 totally ended their story. It's, you know... It was very full circle and beautiful, and it was an ending. And, you know, the, the things that are interesting to me about the Toy Story 4 announcement is that it's being directed by John Lasseter again. We'll see. I want to see if he still has it, because he has not directed anything different um, for a while. He did Cars in 2006, and then Cars 2 when that came out. Those were both not particularly good. And back in the day, the only non-Toy Story movie he's ever directed besides Cars is A Bug's Life back in the day. So... Hmm. I, and he spent years now as a Disney executive, so I'm going to be interested to see if he still has it as a director. It's being written by Rashida Jones and whoever her writing partner is. They wrote a movie think, two years ago called Celeste and Jesse, which was a good movie. She also stars in it. Uh, she's one of the people on Parks and Rec, um, but she's also a writer. So that's an interesting choice for writers. That's someone new to the series. Um, but I just think it's a weird thing. Like mainly, it's just it's this disappointment for me of Pixar is just a sequel factory. Yeah, and I don't I don't get it. At a certain point I mean I get the money side of it But Pixar was making plenty of money Without doing the sequels Yeah Yeah It's, it's kind of weird Yeah Like I wonder If like I don't know Like if it feels like There's an element of Pixar today That kind of reminds With the car shit That kind of reminds me Of like old 80's cartoons Like G.I. Joe and Transformers Where it was like we have to like make new toys and to justify new toys we have to like make new series and stuff because yeah. the actual money is all in the merchandising uh-huh. that like what if Toy Story 4 is like the like animated Transformers movie where they just kill off like every existing toy and to like introduce replacements basically 
I don't know. And I mean, the other thing someone pointed out on Twitter that is true is that they've made a number of little, like, five-minute Toy Story short films since Toy Story 3 mm. came out. And those are fantastic. So they've literally never made anything less than great with Toy Story. I just... But that's always the thing, is it's like Russian roulette. You yeah, exactly. The- like, because now that it's like all this really good Toy Story stuff, that means that, like, when they make the one bad Toy Story thing, it's probably going to be really bad, right? Yeah. They, well, you spin the barrel enough times, yeah. you're going to shoot yourself in the head. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. There is a, an original Pixar movie coming out next year called Inside Out, and it's done by Pete Docter, who did Monsters, Inc. and Up. So, obviously, he's one of the most talented people yeah. there. He's never gone back and, you know, made a sequel to one of his movies. There was Monsters University, but he didn't do that. Um... And, you know, I'm going to be interested to see that because I like that there's an old Pixar guy finally making a new original movie. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those guys. Until he have... makes a sequel to Up, Down. Yes. <laughs> well, and, like, it's like Andrew Stanton, who's one of the old Pixar guys who did Finding Nemo and Wally. He's coming back to Pixar, but he's doing Finding Dory. Right, yeah. So who gives a shit? I don't know. The only Pixar sequel I'm vaguely interested in is The Incredibles 2, which is apparently kind of happening. Yeah. Because, but that's only happening because Brad Bird apparently came back and said, I want to make it. That's the only thing that interests yeah. me. Because um, I think they were very much on that plan of, we'll make it if Brad Bird has an idea. If he never does, it's never happening. Brad Bird's a smart guy. So we'll yeah. see. Um, but yeah, Pixar's kind of, I don't know, they've lost a lot of their cultural cachet, I think. Yeah. Oh, well. Toy Story 4. <laughs> it just sounds stupid. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it's, it reminds me of Monsters University in the same... Or, like, Finding Dory. Like, they all sound like... This would be, like, a really bad sketch on, like, SNL of well, them, like, just pitchball... Spitballing, like, fake here's the Pixar thing. sequels. The Muppets movie that came out this year, Muppets yeah. Most Wanted, really good movie. It opens... The opening song is about making a sequel, and there's a joke line in there by Gonzo about how Disney is waiting for Tom Hanks to make Toy Story 4. Yeah. So that's why it's a joke. It's like this, for this line from this Muppets comedy. You know? Yeah. It's funny. Oh, well. But let's talk about some other <laughs> sequelization that sounds a little more interesting. Uh, Marvel had an announcement a couple weeks ago where they announced... I think to a lot of people's surprise, their entire Phase 3 slate. Yeah. They have detailed every movie they're making through 2019, and Kevin Feige said, that's what we're making. We're not adding or subtracting anything from this. This is what it is. So that's kind of interesting. We know pretty hands-on what this is going to be until 2019. Yeah. And I find that pretty interesting. So let's just run through the list of movies, because I think this is a fascinating slate, and then break it down. This is really exciting stuff. Let's see. So May 1st, 2015, we know that. It's Avengers Age of Ultron. Later that year in July is Ant-Man come back in May 2016 with Captain America Civil War. November of that year is Doctor Strange, which they still have not found their Doctor Strange for, so we'll see about that. May 2017 is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, July 2017 is Thor Ragnarok. I like that title. Then we have November of 2017, Black Panther. May of 2018, Avengers Infinity War Part 1. July of 2018 is Captain Marvel. November of 2018 is Inhumans, and then May 3, 2019 is Avengers Infinity War Part 2. Dawn of Justice. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if they announced that? Yeah, I'd like to just yeah. tack that <laughs> off. And then there's just like a little like picture of a middle finger next to it. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. This slate did kind of feel like a middle finger to DC. Yeah. Because here's what's interesting about it. It clearly shows that they are going to be paying off on what their big plans have been. Mm-hmm. By getting up to this Infinity War thing. That's a big two-part yeah, movie. Thanos. Yeah. Nonsense. So that's interesting. However, 
Notice all the movies that are not being made here. There's not an Iron Man 4. Mm-hmm. There's not a Hulk movie. There's not a Black Widow movie. The only sequels... There's not a Hawkeye movie. No, none of those. The only sequels to existing properties are Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Thor. And the only one going back to Phase 1 are Captain America and Thor. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of interesting. They're very clearly kind of pushing ahead with new characters and new films. Although, and, like, as we noted, like, before on the, the previous episode... Uh, Tony Stark is going to be in the right. Captain America sequel, so he'll yeah. still be around. Right. He's just not getting his own movie. Which is interesting, and that yeah. shows how strong their brand is, because I think... I do think if the other Phase 2 movies had not done as well as they did, mm-hmm. we would be getting an Iron Man 4. Because Probably. Iron Man 3 is still their second highest grossing movie. It's one of the highest grossing movies ever made, and... You know, you would want more of that. But luckily, Guardians and Cap 2 and Thor 2 all did really big business. And I think these are probably going to do even bigger because we're going to have that Avengers 2 boost again. Yeah, It's a pretty ingenious business model at this point. Mm-hmm. They can only kind of go up and up. Yeah. And then there are also, again, some risks in here. I, you know, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and Inhumans, those are all kind of on that Guardians of the Galaxy level of they yeah. are not guaranteed hits. Yeah, and, and it should be noted that the Captain Marvel they're talking about is Carol Danvers, so that would be like the first, like, I don't remember when the Wonder Woman movie might be coming out, but like, for Marvel, that'll be their first female-led superhero movie. Also, first black superhero in Black, yeah, yeah, Panther, black Panther, who they have cast. That's Chadwick Boseman. That's right, yeah. Awesome. He's a great actor. Uh, I saw him in the Jackie Robinson biopic, 42. That's an example of how biopics can be really bad. Chadwick Boseman, however, was fantastic. And my biggest disappointment of that movie was that he couldn't play Jackie Robinson in a better movie. Yeah. But he's a, he's a movie star. He's got it. And apparently he's going to show up in Captain America Civil War first. Yeah. That's, I really, I, black Panther is a really cool character, so nice. I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah. I'm excited for all these movies. They yeah. all sound great. Um, still, you know, going to see what Ant-Man winds up turning into. And if that those characters are going to play a role in any of this, I'm going to be interested yeah, to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think Thor Ragnarok just is a cool title. And I like, you know, they confirmed Loki will be a main character again. Yeah, and course. bringing that back around. That's going to be great. Um, and apparently what they're saying is that, you know, Thor Ragnarok is kind of similarly important to Captain America Civil War. Like, I guess Captain America will be picking up some of the... Fallout from Avengers 2 and mm-hmm. Thor will be picking up the rest of it so I think that's going to be pretty cool Yeah, and I think Guardians of the Galaxy 2 they're probably going to you know, be integrating those characters more now so it's just it's an interesting lineup of movies in part because it's a lot of new stuff yeah it'll be great in like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 the movies just end with like Peter Quill like getting back to Earth he lands there and it's like what the fuck has been happening on my planet this whole time like what the fuck the Chitauri invaded and someone made this fucking crazy robot dude named Ultron what the fucking shit yeah. like you leave a planet for 15 years and what happens everything goes to shit and I think Chris Pratt would be the right guy to yeah. deliver that monologue yeah I think he could do it absolutely so let's see, anything else interesting here you wanted to point out? Well, I just think it's a cool slate of movies. I like the that they're really dedicated to bring in a lot of new characters. And that, like, again, they're sort of, like, reaching in, kind of like with Guardians of the Galaxy, they're reaching into more obscure realms of the Marvel Universe, like with Captain Marvel and Black Panther, that are characters that people don't really know that much about. I mean, I don't really know that much about uh, Captain Marvel. I've been meaning to pick up a, like, they recently kind of, like, mess around with the character in two different ways, where there's, like, this with Carol Danvers and they kind of think they finished her run as Captain Marvel in a really interesting way that I've heard about is really good and so I've been meaning to pick that up and then they have like a new character that's sort of taken up the mantle that also sounds really interesting so I, I've been kind of curious about going in and reading some old Captain Marvel stuff so I'm, I'm glad I have an excuse to do that now because nice. I'm not that familiar with the character 
And I guess in humans, Kevin Feig is saying yeah. that's like I guess a kind of a passion project for him, and that's one that yeah, is going to have obscure. It's going to have fallout, though. He says into kind of the next phase of all of this, and those are characters being set up for later. I'm really excited to see like what they're going to do with Black Bolt, who's like the leader of the humans, and his power is basically that he's so powerful that if he like says like anything, like a single word would just like level a city. That's how powerful he is. He's nice. a really cool character. I'm curious to see if they'll be able to cast someone with some like fucking real like gravitas man. I had heard some rumors that they were planning on having Vin Diesel play that role because it would be funny <laughs> because then he is he's voice only in Guardians, yeah. but and here he would be body only. Yeah, sure. Like he's Vin Diesel has like an intimidating <clears throat> physical presence. Speaking of which, the Furious Seven trailer came out. Did you watch that? No, I was thinking. I was just thinking that if Vin Diesel plays Black Bolt, like the big thing that should happen, in, like in one of the Avengers movies, like when Black Bolt finally speaks, he should just say, "I am Groot," <laughs> and it's like the biggest fucking plot twist ever. Nice, but no, I was gonna say it just reminded me because of Vin Diesel. The Fast and Furious Seven trailer yeah. came out. I just is say, it called Fast and Furious Seven? It's called Furious Seven. Okay. Which is weird because the previous movie was called Fast and Furious Six, Six but before it, that was Fast Five. But, well, oh, here's what I was saying. Okay. Before that was Fast Five, and if you watch Fast and Furious 6, the actual title card just says Furious 6. What? Yes. So this one is just Furious 7 is like its whole title. Yes. Regardless. Yes. Okay. Which makes sense. It's a revenge movie. I think that sounds good. It sounds yeah. like Dirty Dozen or something. Are, yeah. Are there like going to be a group of seven characters that are really furious about something? I guess. That would be a good like like twist on the title and like the sequel number as well. Yes. No, it looks good. I it's just that trailer is so good. Like the Fast and Furious series, they are just doing those big crazy stunts better than anyone right now. And the kind of stunt they show to open that trailer with is just fucking nuts. I love it. I'm so, excited. do you think the next movie just has to be like a stand, like an ampersand with the number eight next to it, <laughs> and eight? Yeah, and where, those thes are going to have to come back at some point. Yeah, the nine and the ten. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm still waiting for eight Fast, eight Furious. Yeah. Get back to that. Yeah, I don't know what they do with titles going forward, but who knows? Um, maybe someone, whoever has to come up with the titles for those movies, is just like hoping this next one bombs so he doesn't yeah. have to do it anymore. <laughs> like fuck this. Was do they count Tokyo Drift in the official numbering and just like yes. because it didn't have a number, but they're like the next one was just four. Well, the next one was just called Fast, Fast and, and Furious, Furious, but then the next one was five. Yes, okay. It is the yeah. It's in the numbering. Because that's where the... It's actually very important to the overall plot of the series. Yeah, because now, that one takes place in the future, right? The well, they one. finally caught up to it okay. at the end of Fast 6, or Furious 6, or whatever the fuck it yeah. is. And Furious 7 is like a reaction to, I guess, what happened in Tokyo Drift. I haven't seen Tokyo Drift. Yeah, but, like, I'm yeah. really excited about it because I haven't seen any of the movies, but I know a lot of people who really love them. Yeah. And so I hear them talk about it. So I feel like I know a lot about those movies, but I've never... I've, the, like, the most footage I've ever seen is probably the trailer for Furious 6 that I actually kind of remember seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're good movies. Anyway, um, let's see. So Marvel stuff, it's cool. I think, you know, they're planning a two-part Avengers movie. And you know, I'm usually, who knows what that even really means? Right, that could be two separate movies. For yeah. all I know, but I think they, if anyone's earned the right to do a big two-part movie, Marvel is probably yeah. built to that better mm-hmm. than anyone else. And I think they will probably need two movies to get through all the story they'll have at that point. Yeah, yeah, because they're holding off that Thanos thing for a while. Yeah, that's the biggest. That was the most scary thing about all this. Is I look at that number 2019, yeah. and I'm like, I have no, I don't know where I'll be living in five years. I don't like, know I don't even doing. know if the human race will still exist in 2019. We could all be dead for all we know. It's just, it's crazy to have that dated out. It's like we will see them fight Thanos 
when I am 27. It's like, for all we know, by the time 2019 rolls around, like, Thanos will have actually invaded the planet. Anything could have happened. He's here, he's like, I want to actually star yeah. in Avengers. God None of this CGI bullshit. Yeah. I was hanging around the moons of Jupiter, and I saw you guys doing this fucking shit. Nobody even gave me a call! Alright. <laughs> so let's see. I think that's it for all the news and stuff this week. Let's go ahead and move on and talk about Doctor Who. Doctor Who? Alright. Let's take this one at a time for now. Let's right. start with... Right, because... Of... The last hmm. episode we talked about was Flatline, which was great. Yeah, really fucking good. And kind of wound up being the last good episode of the season. Yeah. But let's talk about these. In the Forest of the Night by Frank Botrell Coist or something like that. Cottrell yeah. Boyce. There it is. He had a funny name, so I remembered hmm. that. Um... I don't think we need to say a lot about this episode. Probably not. I don't remember much, honestly, because I Here's don't think it say. had a plot. This episode, it was it was kind of dull. It was kind of the plot was kind of nothing. It was sort of there, but it was kind of lazily constructed. You get to the end, it doesn't feel like it was very significant. I mean, it is one of those plots. I mean, I think deliberately where if the characters had done nothing, there nothing would have happened in the episode. Like if the doctor yeah. just landed and been like, oh, trees, eh, whatever, and just went away, everything would have been fine. Yeah, it's kind of one of those stories. That being said, I did not find this a bad episode. There were lots of little things in it I enjoyed. And I just wanted to say that up front, because I do think it did some things well. I liked all of the actual material kind of with the doctor in the episode, because it was some different dynamics where first he's hanging out with that one weird kid who comes onto the TARDIS. Yeah. I like that moment early on where he's kind of doing his thing where he just is mean to everyone yeah. and then he realizes she actually needs help and it was that was just a nice little moment mm-hmm. for the Doctor that was different than what we've seen from him in the past uh, in this incarnation and then there's some of his incarnations with the other children over the course of the episode and with Clara and kind of the Clara's arc in this episode of sort of um, I remember liking it what actually what did Clara go through in this episode she had some um, discovery at the like, end I feel like I remember the most like the, my favorite part of the episode I remember was a speech that Danny gave to Clara about yes. like, hey, like I've I know why you're doing all this shit with the doctor and going and seeing the universe, but for me, like I don't need to do that. Or I like I don't want to like see everything. I want to see less and like focus on the things that I have okay. that are important to me. That was a really good moment. Yeah. That and that was Clara's realization is that she keeps trying to kind of in this episode bring Danny into it, be like the doctor, all of these yeah. things, and that was interesting. So yeah, no, Danny had a good moment there. Yeah, I thought that was a really good moment because it's also I thought it was like an interesting moment. Because I feel like the New Who has tried to kind of make some of those arguments before. Because I think New Who is like very fascinated with the sort of like the structure that Doctor Who has always had and trying to play it with it in a modern way of asking questions like, well, why the fuck does the companion go with the Doctor? Like, and why, like, why does the companion leave? Why would the companion just stay with him? I feel like they've never like, and like they've never gotten like very good answer for that. Why would they just leave? Like, they almost had it with Amy and Rory, but then they just fucked it up by bringing them back. So I felt like like Danny actually made a really good argument of like you don't need to go and see all the universe to have a really like satisfying fulfilling life like sometimes there are other things that are important that you could embrace. Yeah. So that was a good moment. You know, on the whole, I I'm going to let you take it after this because sure. I have no active dislike of this episode. I thought it was pleasant, it was fine, it was pretty dull. But one of the things I thought it was was kind of both interesting and a problem with it is that it's very clearly an episode pitched to children. Oh yeah, and I and I could imagine a kid who's into Doctor Who really liking this one because I think there's some I nice. It would be the most boring, stupid kid on the planet. Like okay. it would be like a kid who is way into Fern Gully, man. That, who well, wants, who's who's that kid? Anyway, 
Nobody wants to be that kid. Yes. So I, I, anyway, I thought this was a decent kind of kid-friendly episode of Doctor Who. Not a lot there for me, but it was okay. Did nothing offensive like the actual finale of the series. Sure, yeah. But go ahead and tell us what you thought of him. Yeah, like right? I like I don't think the episode's like terrible, but I thought it was really really boring. And I think for me, the worst parts about the episode are one, like the plot's just complete fucking nonsense. There's some part halfway through the episode where like the doctor creates a gravitic anomaly with the screwdriver and then like all these fairies appear and he talks to the fairies and they give some bullshit exposition about like the trees decided to grow because it's going to be like a solar flare and they're going to protect the planet from the solar flare because trees can control oxygen. It's like no, none of that. None of no, none of also, that. Also is is anyone on Doctor Who aware that we do track solar flares? We would be yeah. aware if there was a solar flare. Yeah, and it's also like, man, like what a fucking diss to the Earth's magnetic field. You know, the thing that actually projects protects us from solar flares and has nothing to do with fucking trees. Like, give the fucking magnetic field some fucking cred. You know, it's been defending all the life on the planet for time immemorial, and we're all like, oh no, trees will just magically appear, and that's how we're saved from solar flares. And some nonsense about, like, the Doctor giving some exposition about the Tunguska incident, where, like, a fucking asteroid airbursted over, like, a forest over in the Siberian forest. It destroyed a bunch of trees. And something about, like, the trees were protecting the planet. It's like, no, that was the atmosphere. Like, that had nothing to do with the fucking trees. Like, the trees just happened to be there, and all got knocked down by the explosion. They didn't stop the fucking asteroid. So, yeah, like, it was just an episode that had... Like at its core, a really cheesy environmentalist message about like loving the trees, but like all the actual logic of the episode was really bad. The science was really bad, but not in like a really offensive kill the moon way because I don't think the episode never was asserting itself as like a scientific authority, so I couldn't get really mad about it. But it was just like it just felt like stupid. And then at the end, there was the thing where like the girl comes back and you're like, what? Oh right, the sister because there's. I, we're confusing the listeners because they don't remember it either. <laughs> no. I fucking remember it because when that happened, I was like, "What the fuck?" I'm just going to back up really quickly. Yeah, the subplot was that the main little girl in the episode she had lost, literally lost her older sister. She yeah. just dis- she didn't die. She just went away. And then at the end, the older sister comes back, and she looks like she's from a totally different family. They must all be adopted. Yeah, and how she comes back is like the little girl. And her mom are just walking back to her house, and there's just, like, a really conspicuous bush in their fucking lawn. And then, like, all the fairies appear, and since all the, the, the trees are disappearing now, because trees will just, they just disappear after they've done their fucking duty of protecting the earth from solar flares, as we all very well know. <laughs> the bush disappears along with them. This one, like, all the other things were trees, but this bush just decided to appear up, and, and then, like, the girl was just in the bush. So I don't know if the girl was in the bush the whole time. Or if, like, she was lost and just, like, happened to come home and was really freaked out because, like, all these trees appeared out of nowhere. Or she was actually dead and the fairies brought her back to life. All three of those are possibilities. The episode didn't seem interested in sort of trying to elaborate what the fuck that subplot was like or what it was about. But they did find it important enough to be, like, the emotional beat that you end the episode on. So, Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's... Fairies. (laughs) This episode also, I should say... You know, I think Doctor Who for the last couple of years has been a really good-looking show. They've done great yeah, work yeah, with the effects, absolutely. great direction, pretty consistently. Um, this was not a particularly well-directed or really the episode. Well. It did not have good effects. It was pretty anemic on a lot yeah. of levels. Also, remember that one part where the girls lost and like the Doctor and everyone are walking through the forest and they run into these like two dudes with flamethrowers who are trying to take down the trees, and they're like. 
Hey, stop that. There was a girl. We're trying to find a girl who's lost. And like, fuck off. And just keep on fucking shooting flamethrowers at the trees. He's like, why? What? Like, why wouldn't you just like at least like say it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't start trying to burn down the forest if there's like a girl lost in here. Also, like, what are we doing trying to burn down this forest? This isn't a practical solution to this at all. Also, where is everybody? We're in the middle of fucking London. Like, one of the most densely populated cities on the planet. Yeah. What? I definitely thought, you know, I thought the first five, ten minutes of the episode were actually kind of interesting. Because just setting up the premise, if the premise were like there was this forest on Earth, or what they thought was Earth, and it was just the Doctor and the little girl and Clara and Danny and and the kids... Yeah. Like it was established to be at the beginning and no one else was there and they didn't know what time they were in or yeah. what had happened. That could be kind of an interesting episode. Yeah, like I thought it was going to be, and this was kind of based off of the, the trailer that had been on at the end of Flatline. Yeah. Like that I thought it was going to be like they were in some sort of like parallel universe or like potential timeline that like something happened in the past and that London was like everyone in London disappeared or something and that these, this was like a force that just grew naturally over the course of like, you know, like a yeah. hundred years or something. And I thought that would, that could have been an interesting direction. Yeah. Instead of it just being like the force just yeah. appeared overnight for no really sufficiently explained reason. I mean, this is going to be a theme of what we talk about with all three of these Doctor Who episodes today. This really felt like a Russell T. Davis era Doctor Who to me. Yeah. Because yeah, the other... Yeah, definitely. This one, like, and the finale, yes. Yeah. They, they, they're very much RTD episodes. This one in that... It's clear, like, they start from the beginning, they bring in all the news channels and all this stuff, and it's just, that that kind of bigger global context never helps on Doctor Who, because the Doctor is bigger than all of that. Yeah. We don't need all that stuff. We have the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. like it's, it, And especially when you have the Peter Capaldi Doctor, you know, who yeah. cares about anything else? He knows everything. Yeah. It's just that kind of feeling, like, everything else is insignificant, but they try to make it significant. Yeah. Also, what the fuck did that William with the did the William Blake poem have to do with the episode? Because they named it in the Force of the Night, which is the line from yeah. Tiger Tiger. It's like what? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> I thought because they're you know because they had the like the fucking like fifteen second scene with the tiger halfway through. <laughs> it's like the most pathetic attempt to try to generate tension in the plot. <laughs> like. The, the, is that why you named it after the Blake poem? The, it had nothing to do with anything. The basic takeaway of this episode is that Danny Pink is the greatest human being who ever lived. He can fight tigers with, with flashlights. With flashlights. Torches, he is, as we should say. He is the greatest boyfriend you could ever have. Yeah. He is a nice guy. He's a smart and insightful guy. He can make really compelling philosophical arguments kind of on the fly. He's yeah. utterly selfless. All of these things. And he gets totally shit on in that finale. Yeah, so. that's true. Too bad. Poor Danny Pink. Yeah. I mean, he's going to come back in the Christmas special somehow, probably, because he needs to be around, or else, like, listen couldn't have happened because we've met his ancestors. Clara's pregnant. That's so clear in Uh, both those episodes. She is pregnant. That's what she was calling him for at the beginning. Let's transition into those, because we may be spoiling the hell out of this if someone just wanted to listen to our analysis of this episode. Let's talk about the finale, the two-part finale. I was just going to say, I think it's, like, almost... Obvious that they're making it like so. Clara calls him at the beginning of Dark Water, and she has something to tell him. And she's got kind of her life story arranged on the board, and she's trying to say, "I'm committed to you now. I love you." She's pregnant, and then at the end, she's going to tell the doctor something. And she's—I don't know why she never just told Danny, like, "Hey, you have a son or a daughter. Please come back. I know that you mm-hmm. killed this little Middle Eastern kid, and that sucks. But you have a yeah. responsibility to me now." So, also, what about all the other dead people, man? Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. I—I I don't. I don't quite know how to take this finale in terms of where we're going to discuss it because I sure. think normal logic would dictate we could talk about this as just one big episode. But I really don't think we can. Not really, no. It's because one of those weird two-parters where it feels like the second part episode has like nothing to do with the first one. Yeah. So, 
let me let's just go with overall thoughts on it and then go part by part. Okay. Here's my overall thoughts on Dark Water slash Death in Heaven. The first fifteen minutes are great. Kind of wrapping up this or this this scene where, you know, Danny dies and Clara and the Doctor have this big confrontation, that scene in the lava, and the scene after that where the Doctor admits how much he cares about her. That is a phenomenal payoff to what we had seen this season so far. Yeah. And the last five minutes of the season where they meet in the cafe again and they each kind of want to tell each other their own pain and anguish but can't and feel like they need to leave each other at this point and try to um, you know, tell a platitude to the other to placate yeah. them, that's a good scene too. Mm-hmm. Everything in the middle I did not like. And I know you disagree on that because you liked a lot more of Dark Water than I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought Dark Water was a really good setup because, like, the whole thing was just a setup episode, which makes it like really hard to talk about in isolation. But I thought it was a good, really good setup to like a hopefully, a, yeah, to a hopefully really good payoff in the second episode. But since the second episode is really bad, and especially like it's really bad in like relation to what Dark Water sets up, in the sense that like I don't feel like any of the things that happens in the second part like, followed naturally from, like, what they were setting up, you know, like, even, like, just the plot thing of, like, what the Cybermen are doing is just, like, all this stuff with, like, the clouds and the rain and, like, that just, it just feels like that's not exactly what, like, they were building up to, really. It's just, there's, like, some gap in logic here that we were not exposed to of, like, all this fucking cloud nonsense. And, yeah, like, so I thought the setup was good. And I think, I think, like, the sort of the scenes and the dialogue and stuff in the first episode, in the first part are really good and I think Peter Capaldi's really good and it had you know it had a really solid cliffhanger with like oh Missy's the master it's like okay cool that's a good cliffhanger and then they fucked that characterization up so it's like the first part's not a good episode because it's like it doesn't have a conclusion and the conclusion it gets in the second part is absolute bullshit so I, I more or less kind of agree with you now here's what I want the quality s- of the first part based on the second part alright uh, yeah, we're, I, I hope we can come around at the end and talk about the good things, scant as they are in these two yeah. episodes. Uh, and about the season as a whole, obviously, because... Well, I do think this episode tarred some of the season for me, arc-wise, but we'll get into that later. Um, my problem with Dark Water is an episode, and I've seen it twice now. I watched it on its own last week, yeah. and then I watched it as a double feature with Death in Heaven today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, obviously, it does not work as part of the whole, because the whole is bullshit and doesn't work but I think even on its own as a setup episode I really just didn't respond to it as a setup episode because it felt like it was paying off on something that had been seeded much more than what had actually been seeded because all we'd had going into Dark Water was a couple of shots of Missy and a couple of things of people were dying and going to this weird heaven space where she pranced around with an umbrella usually Mm -hmm. so that's what we had known going in but there's one scene with Seb one scene with Seb he's he's a really good character (laughs) <laughs> no, he's not. I, 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 I hate like, Seb. I thought he was funny. I, I, I found him, him so annoying. I found Seb really annoying. He feels like one of those Stephen Moffat characters on this or on Sherlock that I just want to punch on the fa- in the face. Oh, I think I because I I don't disagree that I want to punch him in the face, but I don't think that makes him a bad character. Okay. Um, in any case, so but within Dark Water, like the weird thing to me is that most of that episode is trying to fool us about you know this is really heaven. And and you can talk to the dead, and there's this weird thing going on, and we know that's not true. Yeah, we know it's, it's building up it's something. Obviously, obviously, it's bullshit. 
But the weird thing is that it's like this has become some kind of socially ingrained system. There's this whole 3W corporation, yeah. and they've been collecting dead bodies. And apparently this is a widespread thing because of the amount yeah. of bodies the master or the mistress or whatever the fuck we're calling her. Just call her co- Missy for this episode. I'm going to call her Missy. Yeah. Okay, so what? however much Missy has collected. So it's this whole thing. And it's weird that I don't know... Obviously, it was supposed to be just happening in the present because mm-hmm. yeah, but, in the present day. But Clara but never knew about three W. None of this stuff had happened. Like it's this would clearly have colored human society in some way. Yeah. And moreover, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. When like the second part does not yeah. follow from the first, that it's like because like uh, like if you at the very end of the first part. You do see that it's, it looks like it's maybe like modern day London, but it could have not been. Yeah, you only see like a little bit of it, and they basically wanted to have like the exterior shot. Of St. Paul's Cathedral to have the reference to the invasion because that's what happened in the invasion is Cybermen were in front of the St. Paul's Cathedral. So they obviously wanted to do that. So I was like, okay, probably this is actually taking place like 300 years in like humanity's future or something. And like Missy has just been collecting people throughout history or something. Which would have been more interesting. Yeah, it would have made sense in yeah. some way. But yeah, instead, you have this weird like this organization has been here the whole time, even though this whole facility seems like way more advanced than anything that modern day civilization would have how it's in St. Paul's Cathedral doesn't make any goddamn like, sense yeah did they just clear out St. Paul's Cathedral and just fucking put that all that shit in there like what yeah and so but it really does that Dark Water episode feels because that's the other just the questions you have that obviously don't go answered in Death in Heaven is like yeah. You know why the, the whole the episode is titled "Dark Water"? It's about this water substance that only shows organic matter. Why do you need to hide the Cybermen? Like that's a question also, you have. Clothes are made out of organic matter. It's yeah. the same problem I've always had with the Terminator logic of like why people don't have clothes when they time travel. It's like no, like fucking most clothes are made out of organic matter. Like what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, anyway, nonsense. Let's just go with what they fucking said. It's like what do you think hair is? Yeah, I know. Anyway. But yeah, so so there's this dark water. They're obviously wanting to fool people, but what people? None of that really becomes clear. The Doctor has a line in Death in Heaven where he says it was a scheme on rich people. I don't really get that. Well, I think but, th- it was supposed to be that rich people will like pay 3W to like put them in that yes. tomb in St. Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. And it, yeah. Anyway, but I what know. I was going to say about just if you watch Dark Water on its own, or as part of the whole, I guess, because these are problems with all of it, but... um. So it's this issue where it really does feel like this was the finale to a season that had been arcing to that in some way. Like, this felt like the first episode of a finale Russell T. Davies would write where he would have had characters say 3W over and over yeah, through the yeah. season. And, like, there would have been, like, like the, at the end of a couple of episodes, the Doctor would have been, like... Like, someone would have, like, vaguely referred to, like, the three words that, yeah. ever, like, that nobody wants to know. And he's like, what? Yeah. And I want to be clear... I'm glad they didn't do that. I think oh, yeah, this absolutely. season's approach to arcing was good, except it doesn't make sense with where they began and started. Stephen mm-hmm. Moffat wrote and, or I should say, wrote and coordinated because he's the showrunner, yeah. a middle, you know, nine episodes of this season that were for a different uh, a season with a totally different beginning and ending. Because sure. this, I mean, just the way I think, even the way the character arcs resolve and the character arcs in Death in Heaven are so clearly tied into the weird plot mechanics. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a different thing. This is two different seasons grafted together to me. And it's pretty jarring when you think about that. If you take those middle nine on their own, it's all fine. But you put that one, 11 and 12 at the, you know, the bookends, Mm -hmm. and it's just really awkward. And it's a problem. And that kind of bothered me in Dark Water because, and Dark Water also, I mean, I don't think it's a bad episode. Like, I don't not enjoy it while I'm watching it because it does some tension well. 
it has some interesting imagery and stuff. Yeah. But it just, a lot of it just kind of bothered me because there was always this sinking suspicion of that, all right, they really have to pay off on this for any of this to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a good comparison, and I'm, I'm going to draw this comparison, draw this discussion, because you just have to. It's the high watermark. Right. You go to the Pandorica Opens and the Big Bangs. Yeah. Bang. The Pandorica Opens is a setup episode, but it's also a setup episode that is actively paying off on things we already knew about. Yeah. And it has big character moments. It has the Doctor giving the big speech. It has moments of triumph and defeat that are interesting on their own. Mm-hmm. And then the Big Bang takes all that further. This, you know, Dark Water at its best was only ever just a setup episode. Yeah. So, and then because the setup goes literally nowhere, who cares? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing that I didn't necessarily have the problems that you have with the, like, arcing with the season. I Like, I think the way they resolve the character arcs in the second episode... The second part is like nonsense. It's, it's complete bad. nonsense. But like, I kind of like the vibe I got from Dark Water at the beginning that it didn't necessarily feel like. I guess the, more like not at the beginning of the episode, but like once they get into that the tomb. Yeah, is that it felt like it was an episode, just an episode, another episode of Doctor Who that happened to have some more significant tie-ins to like with the Danny character because Danny died, but like. It, it felt like they, when they materialized in that tomb, that it's like they materialized in the episode for Doctor Who, you know, like, right. and this was just going to be a Doctor Who adventure, and, like, I thought it was like, oh, that's kind of a cool idea to keep the vibe that the rest of the season had of not having, like, overarching plot lines, but just having some character development, and just, like, have, focusing on each episode being an episode of Doctor Who, which is kind of how I wanted to be, and so I thought, like, I thought that was interesting and worked well in that episode, and then it was like the next episode just went fucking, fucking crazy. Like, that's the only way I can describe Death in Heaven. It's just like, it just went goddamn insane. This is appropriate for, like, its featured villain who's just, like, just went fucking insane. Yeah, well, it's just this tough thing where, and we'll get into all the problems with Death in Heaven. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, taking this as a two-parter where it does get very big and apocalyptic and all these other things like Doctor Who likes to get at the end... You can't have it both ways. You cannot have a season that is episode by episode driven and character driven and have that kind of finale and have it work. Even if Death and Heaven had been better written, had been a better version of what it was aspiring to be, I just don't think that kind of storytelling can work unless you're seeding it. At the same time, you can't have all the good things Series 8 did if you're actively trying to seed these things always. Yeah, like, the the finale should have been a lot smaller. Like, it it should have just... Like, the rest of it should have just been, like, a fucking episode of Doctor Who... That also just, like, used the normal plot of, like, a relatively normal-scaled episode of Doctor Who to resolve the character arcs. Yes. And, like, the high, the heightened scales for it being a finale, all you needed for that was, like, you know, Danny being killed so, like, you can use that to resolve your character arc. And then you also have a returning villain with your fucking cliffhanger. Like, that's all you need. You don't need the next episode to then just be like, oh, the entire planet's being invaded. And, like, there's on a plane and you have this huge, like, nonsensical, like action thing where the doctor's falling out of the sky and the effects aren't very good and not particularly believable and you're just like the whole time wondering like what the flying fuck is going on anymore yeah let's talk about death in heaven i thought this was an embarrassingly bad episode of doctor who just like doctor who caught with its pants down it's just awful like every moment like that i mean i don't like as you say it went crazy and there's that level so nothing about it makes sense the plot just jumps around wherever it wants to go like a fucking 12 year old wrote it yeah and and within that, I think the like Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman are still good yeah. because at this point you can't do anything to make them bad. Mm-hmm. You can put them in scenarios that make me uncomfortable, 
and are wrong for this show, yeah. which they do a lot in this episode, but you can't make them bad. So there, there's that yeah. that maybe keeps your interest in some level. But, you know, Missy is just terrible. It's, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I, we were talking about this after we watched the episode, it's so clearly Stephen Moffat trying to riff on The Dark Knight for me. Like, and I just watched that movie again, and everything she does in this episode is something the Joker did in The Dark Knight, and all of her little ticks are that kind of Joker kind of thing. And it's also stuff that he had Moriarty do in the yeah. awful Sherlock episodes that Moriarty is in. And I just don't get it. If Stephen Moffat wants to go write a Batman movie where he can have the Joker, DC is hiring. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, But to be fair, it is the same basic characterization that RTD used for John Sims Master. So it's like... It is, and I it's feel It's not like they, all Stephen Moffat's fault. Like, they should have just, like, completely course-corrected because that was an awful place to take the Master. But it does feel like there's this weird trend for this and Sherlock where, like... But I also think... These really shitty crazy villains that are like just really really bad and then here's the thing i and i have not watched the john sim master episodes in a while i've seen his last one the end of time a couple of times yeah i have not seen i've only seen that three-part finale he's in once yeah i've Um, at least seen that one twice maybe three times but all i'll say is that i think stephen moffat pushed it even further here i think there's at least in the writing once in a while in those master episodes and I know it, it at least happens in End of Time Part 2 where that character got some level of grounding once in a while and he was crazy and nuts but he also like had a much clearer plan too like he wasn't just completely batshit insane he wanted to fucking kill people and murder and rule the universe I get that the Whatever. master race it's stupid but it's a it's fucking plan really fucking it's really it's stupid really fucking Missy stupid. makes no it's sense a, it's as a, a character it's a plan based entirely on a pun Jonathan. it is missy's plan makes no sense she wants to like it's again it's she wants yeah. to prove she can it's a it's the joker thing from the dark knight she wants to prove she can pull the doctor down to our level yeah that's the whole thing mm-hmm. is you can be as bad as i am um and, and even then that's not built to or developed well yeah, it no, doesn't no. really make sense the mechanics of it don't make sense and she's just going around singing songs and having weird slash fic kisses with the doctor and pretending yeah. she's a robot and Making, like pop culture references, yes, and flying down like she's Mary Poppins, yep. probably giving and not shrinking people to kill them, which I still think it's like we need to get that back. You have to explain that. Okay, yeah, the master in the classic series, the way his his like trademark was that he would shrink people down, and that's how they would die. Yeah, which is like a super fucked up way to kill people. And I just I think part mm-hmm. of the problem is that if Stephen Moffat wants to write this kind of crazy Joker character. Just make a new character and yeah. do that. And then I think it's fine because we can just put that aside and you can probably flesh the character out more too. But when you're doing it I mean, on... it probably won't be fine because it'll still no. be awful. But still be awful. It won't, like, continue to taint this. Like, this move, to be fair, is not necessarily, like, in the scope of Doctor Who has been a character that mostly has been done really poorly. But, like, when he started, the Master was really cool. Yeah, and I just think the Master in here and, the Mor- and Moriarty in... Sherlock is just yeah. like because you're putting it on these characters who they have nothing to do now with the <laughs> names you're using so why use the name that's my question yeah and and not only do they have nothing to do like they're the exact opposite characterization of the original versions because the master was originally designed to be Moriarty like he was designed off of that archetype and so they're both the same kind of villain which is that they are really cool they're really calculating they are not fucking psychos like they they maybe are you know, sociopathic in that way that they don't, like, have remorse or empathy for people, but they're not just completely crazy, and they have a cool kind of rapport with the hero 
of like this almost kind of mutual respect, but that does not stem from this just utter this like this kind of fantastical lunacy. You know, like it's a kind of like madness that doesn't exist in reality. That people aren't crazy like this. This is just nonsense. And I think even on that level, with this kind of you know abject lunacy, it's all these scenarios where I don't even understand what the logic of how that lunacy operates on other people is. So there's yeah. this scene in Death in Heaven where she's mm-hmm. tied up, which, hey, great job, unit, put her right next to the TARDIS. Yeah. I was sure she was going to steal the TARDIS. Yeah, and like, let's put like this criminal who, like, unit has had a huge, because like the Master came from the Third Doctor era, which is the same era that the unit comes from, so like they should fucking understand... It's like putting the hand the master in handcuffs isn't going to do shit. Yeah, come on, like do something at least creative with how you're fucking binding her up or something. Yeah. So there's that, Uh, but they put her there, and the scarf. I think of her still as Scarf Girl because that's who she was in the 50th special. Now she's Bow Tie Girl. Yeah. So Doctor Who fan girl. I did. I will say I kind of liked the moment where we realized Matt Smith is now entrenched as a part of Doctor Who history. Bow ties are cool. Yeah, is now a reference to a prior Doctor. That was kind of an interesting moment mm-hmm. of like that's history now. Yeah, we're on to something new very much. But anyway, bow tie slash. I'm just gonna call her the stupid girl because that's, that's what she I, like. Is. I just think of her as the fan girl because that's okay. like her what her character is. I'm gonna call her the stupid girl okay. because of what she does in this episode. So the stupid girl is standing there, and the mistress Missy. I'm. So I just yeah, don't know Missy. what to call her, Missy. Does the thing where she sings, and then she gets her to come over, and the stupid girl just comes over and goes, nothing bad can come of talking to a psychopath right on. She has not seen The Dark Knight, where this exact same scenario played out. The funniest part about it, too, is that, like, she's so resistant to it, but she still gives in. Like, she's so resistant to it that it completely defies belief that she would ultimately cave in, because it's like she's... The episode spins, like, literally, like, three or four minutes of her, like... Inching towards Missy, and Missy's like saying another line of dialogue, and her being like, "No, no, no," and then like taking another step forward. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So this is an example where, as you say, even she seems to be aware that she shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. But she does it anyway. So this is a moment where Missy's lunacy does not. It correlates to an event where she gets the girl, the stupid girl, and kills her. Yeah. So there's an outcome. But the lunacy going to that outcome, nothing makes sense. The lunacy yeah. feels like detached from everything. Again, it's ripping off that scene in The Dark Knight where the Joker is sitting there and he gets the cop to come over and then he gets the cop at knife point and kills him. And all that happens. But there, you know, that psychopath has been a little better established and we understand how that lunacy leads yeah. to this character decision. It's just, And it's, then also, like, I feel like the character of the cop in Dark Knight, yeah. like, you feel like, oh, that's a guy who thinks he's in a position of power, right? and so he's making a stupid decision because he doesn't understand what's going on, whereas, like, Fangirl obviously knows that she's not really in control here, like, it's the fucking master, like, and I should say that historically the master's character has had the like an ability to like use hypnosis to control people but there's no implication of that whatsoever they don't do the whole like you will obey me thing that he used to do because they don't want to make the master cool anymore yeah in, which is also disappointing because they in this season I thought they did a, a fun thing with the doctor which they kind of brought back some of his like weird mental powers he had in the, the sleep and shit because they're like inferior beings yeah I, I thought that was kind of when I realized that they were doing the master thing again I was like oh great she's gonna have like the cool hypnosis shit again that's like really kind of corny, but also really awesome now. No, nope. they didn't do it at all. Yeah, I think it's just—it's so disappointing. And I think the other problem is that when you tear all of Missy's lunacy away, she's totally pathetic. She's cowering. There's yeah. nothing. She just kind of fears the Doctor. Like that's part of the problem. And this is this is why 
I think this has convinced me they should never do a female doctor. Like I am dead setting against. Yeah, that like I've always this. like I think it's an idea that theoretically could work, but I don't see anyone actually pulling off. Because here's the problem: is how do they characterize Missy as feminine in here? She's hypersexualized, mm-hmm. and when she actually goes up against the doctor and she's had her lunacy and plans stripped away, yeah. she's weak and cowering. Because that's what women are: weak and cowering. Yeah. And for Great me, it's doctor also who, like a problem where, like, you need to find some way. And this is a little. It's, this is still like tricky with the master, but you need to find some way to like make me believe that like underneath she's like the same person, you know, and that the gender is just like a thing that her appearance is. It does not necessarily like define her as a like a not human being, but as a time lord or slash time lady. Yeah, it's very difficult to do that now because their fucking their whole species name is gendered, but. You know, like, you, if you would want, if the doctor regenerated into a female body, that you would still have the effect of, like, being able to see the other doctors in the same scenario saying more or less the same lines, but, like, in a slightly different way. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I feel like that's a very difficult thing to do, and it's a problem with the Master where it's, like, it's kind of the truth of John Simmaster as well as, like, I don't see any of, like, Roger Delgado's performance in there. Like, I don't see any yeah. Anthony Ainley, like... That character so lost because they just com- went a completely different direction with for that character for no reason. It's also a problem in this episode specifically because I feel like they rely really heavily on like the audience knowing who the master is as a character, and I feel like I don't know what that is anymore. You yeah. know, like I feel like because they make all because they you know they change so much about the character when they brought him for the new who where they like really went heavy on the oh like oh he's the doctor's friend from his childhood and stuff like that but i feel like that never they had the whole sound of drums thing too yeah like but I, yeah i feel like that whole friend thing was kind of a part of the season three finale but they kind of lost it at the very end in some ways and then in end of time i feel like that's almost not there at all anymore and he's just kind of a villain and then in this they make it a really big deal again but then and if you go back into the classic series, it's only like that relationship is only like very vaguely alluded to in a, like a couple of episodes. And is mostly just between the chemistry between John Pertwee and Roger Delgado. But it was like super understated and not elaborated on at all. Just like that characterization is not one that's like really firmly rooted in the show's history. So it doesn't have like any effect upon me when you think it really should because I'm the motherfucker who's seen every single episode of Doctor Who and if I'm not getting any cumulative effect about you bringing back like the third most important villain in the entire show's history like just behind the Cybermen and the Daleks like you that's really disappointing that you have 50 fucking years of history for the show and if you can't deliver on bringing back a character like that and making me feel like when I watch this episode it's like this is the coolest thing ever it's it's really disappointing yeah, I think you could use that term for a lot of things in this episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. Such as, there's a semi-interesting scene at the beginning of this episode where Clara is yeah. being aimed at by a Dalek with a gun. Cybermen. Cybermen. Whatever. They're the same. Yeah, thing. the Cybermen nowadays <laughs> might as well be Daleks, you're right. Whatever. I mean, it's and the thing is, they've made the Cyberman design more interesting, but they're so boring in this episode. Yeah, they don't use them very well. Anyway. Then they got, they had, like, the idea of, like, Danny getting turned into a Cyberman could have been used so well in, like, a completely different episode. Anyway, so the Cybermen are going to kill Clara, and she talks her way out of it by saying, no, there never was a Clara Oswald. That's a front. I'm the Doctor. And then they make a huge deal out of it, because the yeah, that's, theme that's song... that's the stinger for the cold open. Yeah. Not just the stinger, but the theme song switches the roles where Jenna Coleman oh, right. is first. I completely forgot about yes. this. And they changed the credits phase, which is super fucked, 
That's so fucked. You don't do that. Like, I like I like Clara as a character, but she doesn't get credits face. Nobody gets credits face except for the Doctor. That's fucking nonsense. Yes. God, I completely forgot that they did that. After I, all the other nonsense in the episode. I'm actually really curious how that's legal. Because, like... Isn't it a contracted thing that Peter Capaldi gets first billing? Like, doesn't he have... Like, how do you switch that? Does Maybe he just said that's okay because it's a fun little yeah. thing. But it's weird. And yeah, it's stupid because the companion... doesn't matter who the companion is. They shouldn't get credits face. But then we go into... <laughs> they should have, like, gone, like, the, the whole nine yards and changed the title of the show to Dr. Clara. Like, when the, when the logo came up. But it's like, who crossed out and, like, Clara put in with, like, Sharpie? That'd be great. But then... The rest of the episode does nothing yeah, with I, that. And that's the reason why I forgot that happened. Is because it's like once Danny, as a Cyberman, like takes her to a graveyard for no reason whatsoever. That's never alluded to again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. so... It's like Stephen Moffat was like, this is cool. And then he wrote the rest of the script yeah. and was like, it oh, reminds fuck, me I a lot that. of like shit like in the beginning of Wedding of River Song where they have like all of time compressed. Yeah. And it's like, that's like... All that does is clutter up, like, the whole rest of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I, I just don't know. This is Man, this I is a rough one. I forgot about the credits face thing. So, I mean, you, it's... It's, it's rough. Yeah. So let's talk about the rest of this, because... And I don't even know where to go, because... Just all of it's a mess. It's Everything just, doesn't yeah. work. I guess I want to go to... I mean, there's all these things that... You talk about the credits face thing and the Clara as the Doctor thing not paying off. But also, all that stuff where the Doctor is made president, which doesn't make sense. And, and on... all the whole time, I was just thinking in the back of my head, it's like, is the Doctor still technically Lord President of Gallifrey? Because he got turned into Lord President of Gallifrey as well. And I, I was kind of disappointed they never made a reference to that. Because it's like, wait, this isn't the only time he's been a president. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, that president... It, it is... This is such a fucking Stephen Moffat finale. That, like, it's just like all these like weird ideas that just do not congeal and just get lost in all this mess of like the fucking Clara is the Doctor thing, which is like a premise that you could build a lot of an episode around, you know, or like the Doctor is the president of Earth to defend this alien invasion is a premise that you could build like a whole half of like an episode, sort of elaborating on that and using that in fun ways, and this episode just kind of like drops them and it's like. Well, that's kind of interesting. Well, let's move on to turning Danny into a cyberman and not using that in an interesting way. Where it's like, let's have the master meet in the episode and not use that in an interesting way. Or really go anywhere with it. Or let's just bring up Gallifrey out of nowhere, even though we didn't build that up over for the whole fucking season. Alright, I'm going to talk about what would be my biggest complaint with this episode. Okay. And that's... And, and I just think... This is a problem both because I think tonally this goes against what Doctor Who is... And on an arc level, I think it betrays a lot of what this season did well. Is the whole wrap-up where we have the, this kind of dual thing where uh, Danny's been turned into a Cyberman. And, you know, he wants to have his emotions turned off. He's basically asking to be killed. So we're already getting yeah. pretty dark. Although, like, it, it really kind of bugged me that he kept on being like, turn on my emotional inhibitor instead of like, well, just kill me. Like, yeah. why would you want to be turned into a Cyberman? Like, just fucking kill him. Like, it's yeah. not nice. But that's, like, a better alternative than being yeah. turned into an emotionless killing machine that's connected to a cyber hive mind, you know? It'd be like in a zombie movie if a dude had his leg broken and was like, just let the zombie bite me. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's a really weird turn of logic. Yeah. So that's weird. Um, so we have that, and that builds to Clara having to basically mind-wipe, kill, whatever you want to call it, Danny. Yeah. There's a dark moment. Then we have this other side of that where after this horrible resolution with the kind of arcs of the season come, that's going to... We're going to have to talk about that separately. Yeah. Um, 
Clara wants to kill the master and makes the doctor do it. So now the doctor has to, and obviously he doesn't, but yeah. we're led to believe that he has mm-hmm. to murder the master. And basically they're standing there just executing her. Both of these things, I think, are so wildly out of place on Doctor yeah. Who. Like, not even in the ballpark of what's acceptable for yeah, the Yeah, I show. mean, it was something that, like, I was watching it, and, like, the whole time I was just thinking, it's like, well, where's the part where they're going to obviously have the Doctor turn and be like, oh, no, I figured out a, like, we don't need to do this. We can fix Danny. Like, like blah, blah, blah. Like, I know how there's a way to reverse the cyber process or something with the cloud or some nonsense. Or, like, with Missy, it's like... I thought, like, I thought the whole time that, like, when he said, like, he was going to kill her, that he was just doing that to get the thing away from Clara, and he was just going to destroy it, because it's like, the whole season has been building up this question of, like, is the Doctor a good man? Like, like, is he, like, morally good, or, like, what? Like, it's, like, his sort of deceptive nature and stuff like that, is that a bad thing? Is his sort of callous attitude towards death in some ways, is that, does that prevent him from being like a respectable hero or something like there's some interesting ideas and i think other episodes have done interesting things with that like into the dalek but this one like it needed to have the doctor be like turn around and be the hero at the end that he needs to be which felt like was what the whole season was building up to was that the doctor is like at no point has the doctor turned into like a villain it's just like we need to understand his morality and especially like sort of like uncover that a bit with this new incarnation because like the doctor like new doctor who has gone really dark in a lot of ways and so it's like we need to sort of like strip that back and sort of figure out where what is the moral center of the show and they didn't they never did that no we found out what the moral center of the show was is that he lets his companion kill her boyfriend and then he executes an enemy fuck this except like you don't even then you did you kind of like pull a kill the moon or amazing spider-man 2 where you use that cheap writing trick of like we're going to have the Doctor do this, but we can't actually have the Doctor do this. this is, and as soon as you're like confronted with this when you're writing, you should know, I fucked up and need to reverse this. But he, the, the Stephen Moffat puts the Doctor in a place where for the plot he wants to tell, he needs the character to do something, but the character would never do that thing. And so then he just has this... I mean, in a way, like this literal deus ex machina where the fucking Brigadier turned into a Cyberman shoots... Missy and like she evaporates probably is not actually dead and then he just flies off into the sky and just leaves and you're, I was sitting there the whole time being like what the fuck just happened like that was the most nonsense bit of plotting I've like seen on this show maybe ever like it's so just like what the fuck I just don't get it because that moment where Clara is aiming the screwdriver at him I agree with what you're saying I kept waiting for the doctor to say I've got it I figured it out because they're setting it up as a contrast where all season the doctor has been confronted with impossible choices and he's made the dark choice yeah. because he has to and this is a moment where it's another one of those but I thought this was the point where he was supposed to transcend it mm-hmm. that's his arc this season right like yeah. I wasn't I was watching but the even same then show. like I feel like some of the arc was that like he didn't necessarily make, like, the dark choice. Like, he made the choice he had to make, but this was not a situation where it was, it, yeah. you know, this wasn't Mummy on the Orient Express, where it's like, there's no other choice. Like, there's nothing else that right. you could possibly do in this situation. It's like the people die and the Doctor has to move on in that episode. But I feel like that's one of those episodes where at the end you understand that it's like, there's more going on there. Just because he's being callous doesn't mean he's not being caring. And you have to recognize that the whole episode, he's been risking his life and doing everything he can possibly do 
to solve the situation and save as many people as he possibly can, then this episode, it should be that, like, Clara does not understand that. Like, Clara has, like, I feel like as a character for a lot of the season, she's been taken in by, like, the more sort of manipulative side of the Doctor, and that's part of what the thematic stuff of Flatline was, that she's really good at the, like, manipulative stuff. She's learned that side of the Doctor, but maybe she hasn't fully come to understand the moral consequences that go with that yet. And that's what this should have been, is the Doctor showing that's like, you people are giving in too easily. There's a better solution. We have to find a better solution. Like, at the very least, you kill Danny, you don't turn him into a Cyberman. At the very least, like, that's not a nice conclusion. It would still have been, like, an obvious, logical, better alternative that you don't even need to be, like, as smart as the Doctor to figure it out. Yeah. And I just, again, the tonal thing really does bother me because it's, you know, just bringing it to this point where these characters are being forced to just basically murder people and do this weird shit at the end. It's just, it feels so out of sync with what Doctor Who is and has been this season and has, I mean, and this has been a dark season, but I think there's a difference between being mature in how you approach themes and just being dark for the sake of we want to make things sad and punch you in the gut. Yeah. That's all this is. I don't get it. And... And it's tough because part of me also suspects that the Christmas special is just going to be about reversing all this. Probably, yeah. In which case, way. what does it matter? Because I, does, I, I... Is it confirmed that uh, Clara is going to be back for the Christmas special? I thought yeah, I she's saw in that it. somewhere. She's yeah. in it. Um, but it's... And, and uh, Nick Frost, Santa Claus, which, yeah. by the way, best thing about the episode, that is yeah. brilliant casting. Brilliant. I am excited for that. Yeah. Hopefully it's going to be... Hopefully that will be one of these those things that this season has done where it sounds like an episode idea that should be good but is going to be done terribly but is actually done well. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what, was, what were we saying? So it, it does seem like the kind of thing where I do like the end of the episode where we end up with the Doctor and Clara and I think if this finale were genuinely good that would be an okay place where you could leave the Doctor and Clara's relationship. Yeah. It would be sad and it would be thought-provoking but I think in the right way. Yeah, it's but, kind of like where those characters need to end. I think, like if they're... If, like, the Doctor had done the whole turnaround thing, I think it would have been a really fulfilling, like, conclusion to an episode. Yeah. But, you know, it's not... You can't leave it like that because of the way the episode actually turns out. Yeah. It's bad. And I just... I don't get I don't get what the intentions were here. It felt like Stephen Moffat came up with some good ideas for, you know, ten episodes worth of the season. Yeah. And then realized he has to, had to tie some things together... And had no idea how to do absolutely any of it. Any of yeah. it. And so he just threw shit at a wall. Nothing yeah. actually stuck. Tried to make the classic mistake that I think New Who does of like trying to make their finales really big. And that like never works. Like that's always... I just feel like... It's worked once. But it never... Yeah, but, but even then... Like I don't know. To... I feel like when I go back and watch Pandora Opens and The Big Bang. I don't think those episodes work as well on like multiple viewings. As like there's there's a lot of... I think troubling Deus Ex Machina and the plotting there. Like I think they're still good episodes. They're good, but they're they're good. And here's the thing: yeah. while there is Deus Ex Machina going on in those, here's why season five works in a way I think series eight ultimately did not. If you're taking it as a season, and the way they arced it, they do want you to take it as a season. Sure. Yeah. Um, you have for one the plot side of it is is seated in a way that is more significant. So the cracks in time in season five come to the forefront in episode five of yeah. that season, and you know what the threat is. It's not just this. 
thing in the back of the room where it's like totally vague. Yeah, because like know Rory what's going gets on. consumed by right. the crack. Yeah. And that comes then later in the season. So there's this progression that's going on there and it's it's real. But at the same time, they have these individual episodes that are really good and they have this character arc between the Doctor and Amy that is incredibly poignant and well done and you get to Pandora Opens and Big Bang. Big Bang. I want to keep... I don't know why. Saying Big Bang. So that would be like an 80s Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Anyway. Um... Where all of that stuff really does come together. Where even if there are you know plot machinations that don't make total sense, there's payoff on both sides of yeah. that, and those payoffs are totally linked. Like what I love about the Big Bang, and this is one I've rewatched several times too, mm-hmm. is that the a lot of the answers to that season tie the plot mechanics in with the character development. They're totally one and the same. It's what I think Stephen Moffat wanted to do here, where the Master's plan and everything it pushes them towards makes the Doctor realize what he's gone through this season. Mm-hmm. That's the intended focus of this episode. Yeah. is to get us to that point. But you look at something like the Big Bang and contrast it, that does work there because, you know, what the Doctor does, going into the Pandorica, shooting up into space, disappearing, and then Amy kind of calling him back, that calls on the kind of the fairy tale tone of the season, yeah. on the arcs that have been building up, all of that. It's not perfect, and I don't think you would ever claim it's perfect, but there's emotional resonance and narrative resonance that exists there because they put the goddamn legwork in. Yeah. This is one where they did not put any of the legwork in on that plot side they put all the legwork in on the character side and then they let the finale be completely driven by the non-existent plot legwork yeah and it ruins it does not I mean it doesn't go back and like make the other episodes bad I'm not saying that Mm. but there's no actual payoff to what these characters were going through this year and that's that's a bummer to me because I think you could have like if you look at the beginning moments of Dark Water and Clara losing Danny and threatening the Doctor and then the Doctor forgiving it and saying, you know, did you think I cared for you so little that that betrayal would change things? That moment is the exact right punch to pay off their relationship because it's based on, you know, who we know these characters to be. And then the rest of this two-parter doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter who they were, doesn't matter what happened, doesn't matter what they went through. It's its own just clusterfuck. And at the end, it kind of tries to tell you this mattered to them, but it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's so weird that's like, by far the best scene in like this whole finale was like the second scene you know it's like you have the the cold open and then you come in and it's like the whole volcano scene like that volcano scene is by far the best thing in this whole finale like I think that all that stuff is fucking awesome and then slowly it just like everything goes crazy also yeah Danny got killed by a car I want to I want to stress this ultimately Danny got killed walking across the street yeah. That kind of thing only works dramatically if you actually deal with the, you know, randomness of death. And mm-hmm. you have the characters reflect on that. They don't. Yeah, I've like... Because it was an interesting idea for, like, half of a second. But then they just kind of, like, didn't want to deal with it. Where yeah. Clara, the reason why she calls the doctor in the first place is, be- like, she has that whole speech to her grandma about, like, it's too normal. It's too common. And she yeah. can't deal with it. Like, that's a really interesting idea. Like, I don't know if Doctor Who ever would really be able to handle it. But it's still, like, an interesting idea that, like, maybe would work in an audio drama or something. But, yeah, it it is, like, a weird... Like, you've touched on something that you're not really prepared to deal with when you, yeah, just have Danny just get hit by a car walking across the street. Yeah. I... And, again, we want to compare this to Season 5... Rory dies in a substantial way Tied into the themes of the yeah. season And then when the, when the finale becomes Rory-centric in some ways it, It's tying back into things we already know mm-hmm. And paying off on everyone's arc The Doctor, Rory, and Amy And this is one where Danny just died randomly And that, 
again, people do die randomly, obviously. Yeah. But if you're doing that in a dramatic context, you have to talk about it. And they didn't. Yeah. It was just like Stephen Moffat started writing the episode, realized, oh, Danny needs to be dead for this episode. I forgot to tell one of my other writers to do it. Uh, he gets hit by a car. There we go. This is what it felt like to me, ultimately. When you go yeah. back and look at what this, the finale actually does, that's what it is. Yeah. And there was a part of me that was thinking that, like, I didn't really think they were going to do this, but it would have been really funny is if in the second part they show that, like, part of Missy's plan was to have Danny die, which I think it actually was, but I don't know how she's supposed to account for that. But just have, like, go flash back to when Danny gets hit and have Missy be driving, be driving the car <laughs> would have been fucking hilarious. Like, obviously they wouldn't have done it, but they should have. Like, they might as well have done it. It would have been, like, the best part of this whole fucking second part. And she would have been wearing a clown costume or something. <laughs> no, like, crazy. in the same, like, ridiculous getup that she has on just, like, driving a fucking, like, Volkswagen or something. I think that would have been hilarious. Yeah. So let's talk about some things that were never accounted for in the plot. Right, okay. Like, okay, so this was all Earth-based, but pretty much everyone we saw die was on other planets and in other time periods. Yeah, like... And sometimes they were robots. Yeah, so yeah, that's just a very good point. And Deep Breath, the first time this comes up, is you have a clockwork robot gets taken to the Promised Land. So I don't know how any of that's supposed to work. Because it's supposed to be that she somehow uploads people's consciousness into this like time lord hard drive or whatever and then like you upgrade the body and then you download the thing like Cybermen from cyberspace why didn't nobody think of that it was really fucking it does, it does like their plan doesn't really make sense either way because like the rain stuff it's just that the, we'll none, talk none, about that, yeah, none of that stuff makes sense but yeah but then the next time it comes up is into the Dalek and that takes place way out into space like it's a human at least but you're, like, way out in space fighting Daleks off of some, like, random planet. Like, it's definitely nowhere near Earth. Also, she dies inside a Dalek. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, because when she dies, she's she's shrunk down. Yeah. And, like, she gets... Her consciousness somehow gets taken. At least, like, the next time it happens is in Caretaker. At least that one makes sense, because that's, like, contemporary, modern day. Sure. And the dude just gets zapped by the one thing. And then I think that might... Is that the last time that happens? Last time that happens in Flatline, we have one scene with Missy looking at Clara. Oh, we have to talk about that. Right. There's this whole payoff that Stephen Moffat apparently was so excited for. He has been seeding since Clara's introduction yeah, on this the fucking show. Yes. Since Bells of St. John with a different doctor and all of that. So we get another nice Matt Smith flashback here. Yeah. So that, that you know, someone gave Clara the number and this is going to be significant somehow. Missy did it for... I mean, obviously, yeah. No reason. Mm-hmm. Like, she just said, because I knew Clara wouldn't leave you or something. Yeah. That's every companion. Like, yeah, like, it has nothing to... And I don't really fully understand what that's meant to have to do with, like, the Cybermen yeah. thing. Like, how does... What does Clara do? It's, like, the only thing that's like Clara does that's important, which, again, is kind of completely incidental, is that Danny gets killed, and so she wants to bring the Doctor to get Danny, and that's how doc- the Doctor gets... Like involved in it in the first place. That's like, again, unless you did the thing where Missy is the one driving the car, or she has someone driving the car. Again, in my head, it's like Missy like behind the wheel of, of some like <laughs> modern day like Subaru or something, just like cackling. <laughs> she just like fucking he hits the car. It would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, unless she's the one driving the car that kills Danny, there's no way to get that to work. And even then, it's like the only way that would work is if she somehow set up. Clara to get involved with Danny in the first place unless you can just assume that Clara's going to fall incredibly madly in love and do all that crazy shit but yeah it doesn't really there's no real logic there that like gels all of that together 
Because then, okay, so that all makes no sense. And that's yeah. this big overrunning plot thread. Then you have Misty's actual plan, which is Cyberman Army can can use the whole human race and yeah, the, he's going to give it to the Doctor. Him. And wants the Doctor to go conquer the galaxy... And unless he conquers it, humans will die. But the doctor doesn't conquer it. He gives it to Danny. So he, so the master must have been lying, I guess. Yeah. Nothing makes sense. Yeah, especially because it was like her. So her plan was. So so there's like kind of two parts of this. There's a superficial plan, which is I think the thing that the Cybermen were into that like she just embroiled, but she had ulterior motives. Is that you? you let's try to break this down. You have you create this bullshit thing about the three words which apparently that's what galactic background radiation is because like it's supposed to be like the you know white noise on your tv which also like that's like a comparison point that nobody's going to understand anymore because you don't have white noise because we don't have antennas yeah, on tv anymore out. but like what white noise actually is is just like residual background energy from the big bang so we, we know what it is so it's like the explanation is bullshit but they're saying it's like, oh, white noise is actually the voices of the dead saying, don't cremate me. So somehow Missy set that up with, like, all that and set up this company, 3W, based on the three words, which is just weird and convoluted way to name a company and does not make any sense. But it creates that and then, like, uses that to sucker rich people into, like, paying them money to entomb them in that facility where you are also put into a Cyberman exoskeleton to, like, preserve your dead body, presumably. And, like, but she uses that to also, like, upload their stuff into the uh, Time Lord hard drive. Which we never know how the hell she's doing that. Yeah, but, but that's just... But, but, like, if, you know, they're paying her money, like, that makes sense in some way. That, like, that at some point in the process, she would have done something that would have uploaded their consciousness to this hard drive. Doesn't explain all the other times we see No, that, yeah, but, but this yeah. is where it completely falls apart, then... Is that the other part of the explanation is that the Missy slash the Master still has her TARDIS, or still has a TARDIS somehow. We this episode does also does in no way really explain how the Master is involved in this and how the Master escaped Gallifrey. Presumably, Steve Moffat will not explain that in trying to explain it at some point in another finale. But she used her TARDIS to like set this up somehow throughout all of human history. Including, like, I, I guess, like, super far in human, the human future, because you have to get into the Dalek lady, gets fucking sucked up somehow. Where somehow she uses her TARDIS to set it up so that in the past, like, all of human, every human soul, through consciousness ever, is uploaded into this hard drive, somehow. But then everyone's bodies are buried into the ground. Now, here's the part that makes no fucking sense, especially for Danny, like, super for Danny, is that then. There's these clouds that happen that they make a metaphor at first about, like, the digital cloud, you know, like, what your email's in. But then is like, manifest as an actual cloud which rains down cyber pollen, I believe is what the doctor calls it, which we're just meant to believe cyber converts people. But that's never explained, and it makes, like... For someone who's seen every single episode of Doctor Who has, like, no connection to what the Cybermen do. Like, the Cybermen don't pee on people and then that turns them into Cybermen. Like, you have to, like, create a cyber thing and, like, put people in the cyber frame and that, that like, deletes their emotions. But this rain seeps into the ground and then somehow turns all these bodies into Cybermen. The biggest problem is, though, that we see the morgue 
we see Danny's body on a gurney in the morgue, or like presumably like like you see a like there is a body on a gurney. You don't see that as Danny. Then water floods in into the ground of the morgue, and then Danny leans forward and he's a Cyberman now. At no point was he like submerged in the cyber pollen, and there was no point at which he could have possibly been cyber converted on that table while we were looking at it. Like there's like it makes like absolutely no sense. Also, all the bodies that are in the like containers in the morgue on the wall that you know you like pull out. All those people presumably get turned into Cybermen because they're banging on the fucking door. But again, there's no way for them to have been cyber converted. So, like, all that stuff with the clouds makes no sense to me at all. Like, I have no understanding of how that's meant to cyber convert people, you know? Yeah. And then somehow their consciousness just gets re-downloaded into the appropriate body. Where's the metal coming from? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, there's nothing, like... Like, there's, you know, I can deal with some pretty light-handed, like, hand-waving of the mechanics of the plot. But, like, that's that's really pushing it of uh, cyber pollen and, like, the... Like, it feels like an idea completely evolved from Stephen Moffat hearing some, like, whippersnapper say the word, like, oh, the cloud. And he, like, Googled what the cloud was. He's like, oh, this is a good idea. Like, he probably did that around the same time he wrote The Bells of St. John with, like, the Wi-Fi monsters. His yeah. Wi-Fi is going, going to come get you. <laughs> Stephen Moffat does not like modernity, apparently. Yeah. Technology is not his friend. Yeah. Too bad he writes a show that deals with it a lot. Yeah. And then, and then okay, the other part of the Cyberman stuff that really pisses me off, because it's so fucking lazy, is the stuff with Danny at the end, where she turns on his emotional inhibitor thing that's supposed to just, like erase all of Danny's emotions because that's how Cybermen work but it just doesn't because Danny loves Clara and that's like the only explanation you're given which is just I was saying to this to you before we started recording the podcast is so stupid because that's it's acting like Danny is the only person who ever loved anybody in the history of mankind literally because they're drawing on the corpses from all of human yeah. history which also the- most of those dead bodies would be in no way fit to be turned into Cybermen that's another part where the po- plan completely falls apart yeah is that most of the human corpses in the, the history of the planet are not really fit to be put into a cyber body you might even say a lot of them don't exist yeah because of decay exactly anyway and uh, decomposition but yeah so that just nothing here makes sense this is yeah. like the problems with kill the moon exacerbated tenfold yeah well at the very least like it's not asserting some sort of like so, like the only like well established scientific principle that it's just like fucking in the eye is like the galactic background radiation. I don't care that much about that. The rest of it is just like logical mishaps, not like. Well, also apparently metal is just appearing out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm sure. I would say that's a law of conservation of mass problem. Yeah, but it's like the episode never brings up like a missing yeah. mass problem in the first place, so I let that slide. It's just, but this is like this is like kill the moon level problems. On like five layers of story that are going yeah. on simultaneously, it's nuts. And it's also, just, to bring it back to why the flying fuck does Danny ever bring Clara to that fucking cemetery? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's so it's just so random. Like the only reason it happens again, it's such bad writing. Is I know the reason why it happens is because Stephen Moffat had the cool idea of the Cybermen breaking out of the ground like it's Night of the Living Dead because even the cemetery looks like the cemetery from the beginning of Night of the Living Dead. It's like. But you have to have a reason for her to be there. You can't just pluck the character out and just, like, 
plop her down there and have like like just have Danny take her there without any reason. <laughs> it has to be something. Yes, there should be, yeah, but there the is not. The writing so bad. Here's the other thing I want to say. It's not just that the writing is bad and that there's no logic and there's these problems. I also think it's just kind of a poorly made episode. It's poorly directed. It's poorly paced. Yeah. It's got... Like, it's just, there's so little dramatic tension. Like, again, the climax just happens with them all standing in a graveyard and talking. Yeah, like, they spend half the episode just standing there in the graveyard. You're absolutely right about that. And that's a problem. And then, I mean, all the actual, like, plot mechanics there at the end are problematic, too, because it's Danny going through this thing just standing there, and then he kind of flies up. And the Doctor has this big, grand realization about, you know, kind of his history, and they do it just through bringing in clips from better episodes. Yeah. And then... He just stands there and kind of thinks it over, but that takes about 30 seconds. Like, literally, this incredibly great, complex Doctor arc you've spent 10 episodes building up, you just wave away in 30 seconds. Yeah, and even then, like, his big revelation is like, well, I don't need to kill myself. I can just hand this thing to Danny, and he can fly up into the sky, and he'll just blow himself up. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. When you say that, that's true. He's like, there dead. is no, like, there's no really grand resolution for the doctor. The doctor doesn't do shit. Like, he's just like, here, go kill yourself and you can solve all my problems for me. Boy, it's just, they took a lot of what was good about this season in this episode <laughs> and just kind of pissed all over it. Yeah. I just don't get it. I, again, I think the last scene, I, I don't think it works entirely because the build-up to it is non-existent. Yeah. But I like the idea of where the Doctor is, where Clara is clearly, she's trying to tell the Doctor something, but chooses to keep it from him. Yeah. So he'll be happy. And he chooses to tell her he found Gallifrey, even though he didn't, so she'll be happy. And I think Peter Capaldi's acting in that scene is pretty phenomenal. Like, when yeah. he sees that Gallifrey isn't there and his kind of freak out... It's in part because he spent this whole... This has been a performance kind of a reservation in a lot of ways. And so when he lets go there, you really feel it for a minute until you turn the episode off and you think, oh wait, does does this Doctor care about Gallifrey? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the biggest part with, like, the ending of this episode. It's all of a sudden it it feels like this was, like, right after the 50th anniversary where it's like, oh, Gallifrey's still, like, important. Like, this idea of, like, where is Gallifrey? It's like... But it's not. We haven't talked about it. Like, literally, it's not come up a single time the whole season. And building off a season of, like, having, like, almost at, like, every other episode or something like that of the Doctor trying to find Gallifrey. And that's, like, what, like, the reason for him to, like, land places or something is. I think that's a really good idea for a season arc that you could do if you did it, you know, wisely. That could be kind of like Series 5 where you have a little bit more of, like... Plot intrude, like like an overarching plot intruding into the individual episodes instead of just trying to do character stuff. I think that could work spectacularly. Maybe that's what they'll do next season or something. But you can't try to have the conclusion of your episode have this like big emotional moment with Peter Capaldi, which I agree, like he he's so fucking good. But it's like you're trying to, and I like you, I can kind of get the emotion of the scene just based off of the history of the whole character. But it has nothing to do with what you've built up on this season. It's well, just it's something like, that, like, of a connection to the character that I have. That I understand why he wants to find Gallifrey really bad. But it's not something you've tried to specifically build up at all. Well, it's this problem that both Wedding of Riversong and Name of the Doctor had where Matt Smith came so close to selling those episodes. Sure, he tried yeah. his hardest. Like, if you watch them once, 
maybe you don't get as angry as you do on repeats because Matt Smith is doing so much good work to try to sell what's going on in that episode. And I think Peter Capaldi's doing it here. I think Jenna Coleman's doing it here. And I think in the moment, maybe you don't see it as much. And then the moment you start thinking about it, though, you realize how much it falls apart. And that's the problem is that you get to the end of that and because they've relied on the actor to try to do all the emotional heavy lifting with no help from the writing, you get to the end and actually nothing has been resolved. That's the problem with Wedding of River Song is nothing that happened that season really mattered in terms of that finale. It all got pushed off to next year. And the name of the Doctor, not important. All got pushed off to the 50th special. And with this one, it's we've had all this great character buildup and none of it really mattered. That's all going to clearly come back to roost at Christmas. Yeah. And that makes me worried about the Christmas special because it's not just going to be a good normal Christmas special episode. It's going to be wrapping up Clara and the Doctor and their journey together, which you could have just done in the finale. Yeah. And you should have just done then. The what if they're using that episode to like send off Clara and introduce the new companion at the same time, and the companion is Nick Frost Santa Claus. I mean, I will give everyone a high five. That'd be great if... <laughs> Nick, not happen, but... Nick Frost being a permanent part of Doctor Who would be awesome. Yeah. Because Nick Frost being a part of anything is awesome. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's it's just problematic because I don't I don't understand how Stephen Moffat doesn't get to the end of writing these scripts and realizing, oh, I've just given future Stephen Moffat a lot of work. Yeah, you know, and I've done nothing. It's really funny too because it's like he fucked himself so hard in the Matt Smith years with not resolving anything. It's like in Time of the Doctor, he just has to put in like. Five lines of dialogue that are just like, we just need to fucking, we just need to fix this. We need to fix this. Because I have like five overarching plot lines that I have not resolved in the slightest and I can't have this baggage anymore. So he's just like, yeah, but gets rid of it. And he's doing it again, the poor guy. Like, like, stop it. Like, fucking just do self-contained seasons. For fuck's sake, stop. Or better yet, self-contained episodes. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's just, like, say, fuck it, we're not trying to do, like, these big arcs. We're not going to try to, like, make these, like, finales that have these, like, huge fucking stakes or anything. Like, let's just make episodes of Doctor Who and have fun. Because that's what I think the show should have been the whole time. Because here's what I think we learned from Season 8. And I want to transition into this discussion. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think here's the major lesson of Season 8. Is that Stephen Moffat is honestly better than ever at writing characters... And and overseeing other writers, he yeah. is really good at that, and that was a that was proof this season because this had I think the sharpest characterization of the Doctor, modern who has ever had, yeah. and it had possibly the sharpest characterization of a companion and the relationship with the Doctor this show has ever had, mm-hmm. and it had a really well done evolution of that within a context of giving other writers chance to tell really original stories yeah. that worked and played off those characters. And those strengths are really strong. And they were pretty striking, honestly. I think it was surprising for all of us yeah. that this season did that that well. Especially when you got the one-two punch of Mummy and Flatline. It was like, yeah. holy fucking shit. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. That was the high point of the season, definitely, yeah. was that one-two punch. But Stephen Moffat happens to be worse than ever at actual story arcing and premieres and finales. He can't. He's incapable of doing that anymore. It's just clear... Um, and I don't know, honestly, if he's capable of writing a Doctor Who episode himself anymore. Because Listen had a lot of really great stuff in it, but it doesn't work cohesively, necessarily. Sure, yeah. And even then, I wonder if that's just kind of a fluky thing. Because he uh, he gave himself this one-off, and it worked okay. And I just, I just don't know going forward. And so I think if... The only... You know, I, I still think it would probably be best if Stephen Moffat just left the show. I think his time has come. But... If he were to reorient what he actually does and became took more of a off ha- little hands off like script editor kind of position where he oversaw other writers, maybe contributed his own script once in a while, 
got rid of these big story arcs, stopped trying to chase the dragon that was season five. Yeah. And just really focus on what his strengths are, which are real as a showrunner. He has yeah, strengths. Absolutely. Like, because even with this, like, finale, like, and for me, I, I don't think the season arc stuff matters as much for you, but I think this is still one of the strongest seasons New Who has had. Oh, I think it's, I, I still think it's the second strongest. Mm-hmm. I would put season five ahead. I and I would, maybe I would too. Here's, and here's the basic reason. Yeah. Season five doesn't have a bad episode. I think it's got a dull episode or two. Yeah. I think it's got some ones that are imperfect, and I think there's some logic here and there that doesn't work. But it's a season, it's a 13, you know, decent to fantastic episodes. Yeah. It's got a clear arc. It's got a you know great performance by Matt Smith, great work by Karen Gillan and Arthur Darville, and it ties together and has a punch. It has, I think, what season eight does well, and its own thing it does well. Sure. Season eight has some strengths that season five doesn't have, and that it does have some of these individual episodes that are just above and beyond. Yeah. Um, and that's why I would put it above every other season New Who has done, but I still don't think it breaks that season five ceiling in part because it is still so clearly kind of trying to chase that. When you get to the end and see what the the totality of this was, they were trying to do that again. Yeah, and in, in some ways, I've said this before. I wonder if season five was kind of the worst thing that could happen to Stephen Moffat mm-hmm. because he made a great season of television that I think is going to endure in Doctor Who history. Yeah, but he's also kind of ruined, you know, seasons past that by trying to do it again. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if that's something you can do again. Yeah, and it feels like it does feel like he wants to sort of like pull away from that, you know, because there's yeah. been so much effort with season 7 and now series 8 that it's like trying to make standalone episodes but it's like but then again it's like you get to the finale and it's like what the fuck happened like what is it feels like I'm watching a completely different season of Doctor Who all of a sudden because this is just is like these are problems that I thought we had just gotten over like I thought that the series 8 was you figuring out we don't need to do this anymore we have a better way to try to like to try to handle this now we don't need to format this the same way we've been formatting it since New Who basically started. It's like, fuck. Like, goddammit. Like, just get away from it. Like, I think we, like, I think they need to just get away from it entirely. Like, I would love to see Series 9 have none of the stuff where you have, like, you know, a cutaway in, like, at the end of the episode where you have, like, a stupid scene with, like, Missy or, like, in Series 6 you have, like, the Madame Kavarian stuff or, like, the RTD years you have the random keywords or even Series 5, which did it well, still had the same basic format to it of, like, yeah, the cracks in time. They just found better ways to integrate it into, like, other episodes. It's like, I think they need to get away from that entirely. I think they need to abandon the idea of, like, having the series arc and just have individual episodes and try to have characters develop thematically over the course of those episodes, but don't try to make it a big deal. Like, don't yeah. try to make it huge. Because I think that's one of the, the great things about... Peter Capaldi's performance as the Doctor as well is that I don't think he needs those those like huge action moments. I don't think they make sense with him as the Doctor. It's one of the things that like when he's falling out of the plane... It's felt so wrong. Yeah, it's like maybe like it would still feel really cheesy but I could kind of see like David Tennant doing it but... David Tennant did it all the time. Yeah, so I that, mean, yeah. yeah. But like it's almost like the effect all kind of reminded me of when David Tennant's I think it's in Silence of the Library where he's like going down into the like hard drive or whatever and he's like and he's like falling straight down like this I forgot, thing. I forgot it's about, a really cheesy shot yeah. but like I think of sometimes when I think of David Tennant it kind of reminded me of his scene in the end of time 2 where he falls through the roof yeah. although that's, that's a good really, scene that's really that's fucking great cool scene. Yeah. it's built up to like where he just pushes himself to the edge yeah. it's kind of Androzani in that way but yeah with Peter Capaldi like it makes no sense he's not this like man of action thing that's kind of the point of his doctor is he's not trying to hide his age anymore he's not trying to like 
you know, be the action hero. He just wants to be who he is. And so, like, doing the big action scenes don't make sense. Peter Capaldi, like, it's it's really telling that by far the best scene in the whole finale was the one that's, like, this quiet, dark, calculating moment with, like, him and Clara trying to, like, play off of each other and him, like, you know, they're sort of, like, handling the control of the situation and stuff. He played that fucking unbelievably. You know, it was great. And then you get him in this, like, action scene and you're like, what the fuck are you even doing? Like, this man's 56 years old. What are you trying to get him to do? I know. And, I mean, this was, I think, a, a recurring theme throughout these two finale episodes is I think it kind of forgot what they had done well with both the Doctor and Clara because I didn't think Clara was well utilized in either of these either. Yeah, I agree. Because Clara, again, Clara's the best modern companion. I think when she's used at her Probably, best yeah. in these episodes... There's just, just there's nothing else that quite plays off what she has added to episodes consistently. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a big part of these, this finale, too, is that if you go from Deep Breath all the way on to Forest of the Night, those first ten episodes, that is Clara's story in which the Doctor exists. Yeah. That's, how yeah. It's the, that's the perspective. perspective. Yeah. That's the POV. These last two episodes, even though it's kind of about Danny dying, the Doctor is totally dominant. Yeah. And she's gone for long stretches of time, and she lacks agency for long stretches of time. Yeah, it's part of the problem of the pacing in the second yeah. part is that they're trying to cut between the Doctor and Clara doing stuff, but they're like, for the full first half of that episode, like, those storylines are just completely separate. And I think generally that's actually something this season didn't do well, was when, whenever it would put the Doctor and Clara apart, that didn't work. Even in something like Flatline, they are physically apart, but they're together the whole episode yeah, through yeah, talking and playing off each other. Yeah, I don't understand why, that, I mean, that chemistry is so good, I don't know why you'd break it off for their potentially last episodes together, yeah. you know. But but here's the thing. I mean, we're dwelling on the bad here. Series eight gave us one of the all time great doctors. Oh yeah. I like, mean, Peter Capaldi. I mean, so what do we want to say about his? We've had a full season. Yeah. What conclusions are we drawing about the twelfth Doctor? I mean, for me, it's a thing where I feel like, and it's one of the reasons why I think the show, the the structure of the show itself, needs to adjust to to this, is that Peter Capaldi feels like a classic Doctor in so many ways to me. Like he reminds me of older doctors like in more specific ways of like the style he's acting and the character he's trying to play which is not to say that I think that like you know Eccleston and Tennant and Smith didn't necessarily have that but there was an element where I felt like they were trying to make the show too new and with a lot of that it stems from like a lot of the romance stuff they tried to do all that just felt so non-germane to the character of the doctor that they're trying like to sort of make him modern but in ways that don't work whereas like I feel like he, Peter Capaldi's performance stems naturally from those classic Doctors where you see so much of that in his performance but it still feels modern in the sense that it's like the episodes are modern and his acting style is more modern that it's a lot more subtle and not so you know he's not he doesn't need to sell the effects by his acting because the effects can stand on their own so he can just be you know playing the part yeah he absolutely he feels like you know he feels like I've said this whole time he's not trying to tell jokes he's not trying to him like the doctor is not trying to make a performance for people he's just trying to be himself which I think is like it makes the character I think more fun for me to watch but it also feels like it fulfills something that like New Who has done in sort of like creating a character arc for the doctor where that's his character arc now is that it comments on the older doctors that like now what particularly I think Tennant and Smith were doing was a lot of the time it feels like the doctor himself was playing an act and now we've gotten like to who he is actually again and he's like he's just the doctor and he doesn't need to have all like the sort of like the time war stuff hanging on him he doesn't need to have all the romance stuff 
he can just be who he is and have fun going about the galaxy, you know? Yeah. I agree with absolutely everything you'd say, you said about this. What I would add to it is I think... And I'm not... I, I, we're, none of us are making comparisons to other Doctors to put them down. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, they've all been just, great. They're all great, yeah. Um, and we don't even need to say who's better or worse. They're all wonderful. I would just say what's different about Peter Capaldi versus, like, a Matt Smith is that... Matt Smith was the kind of Doctor you would watch every week, and I just felt kind of warm around him. It yeah. was fun to watch Doctor Who because this dude was like my friend. He's like, and I think that's why he inspired, and I think David Tennant too, because it's a similar kind of thing. Yeah, they inspire such loyalty in the fans of those Doctors, and to the level where they can't accept new Doctors. There are a lot of people who don't like the Twelfth Doctor, I think, just because he's different yeah, than Matt yeah. Smith. But they're the kind of Doctors who you watch them, and it's just it's this level of kind of warmth and trust. And you're looking up to this character and this unquestioning devotion to that character. And that's... I admire that. I think that that was a valuable era of Doctor Who. Yeah. What makes Peter Capaldi interesting is that he keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Every week. You you laugh at him a lot, but you also kind of wonder where he's coming from. The writing for the Twelfth Doctor has been so much more kind of... And again, I'm not using this to put down the other Doctors, but mature. It's about... Yeah. It's really trying to guide and get into psychology and, and having you question his actions. And I think one of the reasons why we pulled a lot of some of the episodes apart this season on that plot logic level is in part because the 12th Doctor, I think, demands it. He's the yeah. kind of Doctor who you just watch the episodes more closely because he's there. And, you know, I came to love this character over these 12 episodes. The other day I went back and watched Matt Smith's regeneration scene just to see, like, what does Peter Capaldi look like to me now yeah. in his first scene? And it's amazing. I, he regenerates. I'm like, yes, that's that's the it's doctor. The doctor. Yeah. That's the fucking doctor, and he's awesome. And it's interesting that we, we definitely got to that point, but he's also so different. And I think he's allowed the show to go to darker places. He's yeah. allowed the show to go to more dynamic places. And within all this, I mean, not just... I think the writing has definitely served Capaldi well, but I also wonder if it's a thing where Peter Capaldi is giving... Such a good performance And yeah. it is so Almost just above The call of duty At this point mm -hmm. And I think maybe That's elevated the writing too Because you watch him Come in and do what he does And I think there just Must be something On the writing level of We have to match that We have yeah. to do something For this because You can't give him nothing Because he'll make Something out of nothing But when you give him Something It's transcendent Yeah It's absolutely transcendent Yeah he's just, He's so good so fucking good and there's something that's like I just really like that we don't you know you don't have the stuff that like with David Tennant especially had but even Matt Smith's ear also had of like oh I'm like I've lived for 950 years and I am the doctor and I am you know I'm Jesus you don't have yeah. the Jesus thing anymore it's like he just feels like he's like He's just him. Like, you know, he just gets to be the character. You know, yeah. it feels like... Well, that's the thing. There were, This episode, this uh, season, I should say, was a season of, like, actual character study. Yeah. And that's something the Doctor doesn't often get. I think uh, Matt Smith's Doctor, in, you know, when you look at his last two seasons, six and seven, he got elevated to a point where they could have interesting things for that character to do, but actual examination of who the Doctor was... He got a little too distant for that. Mm -hmm. And what made season five good was that there really was this kind of question of maybe who this doctor was and what emotions he was dealing with and his old age and his wisdom and these things. Yeah. And that, that worked and maybe got diluted a little bit. And what I and I'm I'm kind of expecting that that's not going to get diluted with Peter Capaldi, in part because it's so much stronger here. Yeah. They never just took the doctor at face value. You don't just throw the word the doctor out there now and expect it to mean something magically they really have been going in on what this character means and that's why Clara works so well as a companion because yeah. she's questioning she's you know strong and has a really interesting dynamic with him and I think she's really transcendent that you know just basic you know 20 something white girl companion that 
is yeah. the archetype for this show. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, Stephen Moffat has done that twice in a row now. Yeah. And I like that. And he's doing a good job with that. A little rough at the beginning with uh, Clara. Clara. Yeah. A little rough at the end with Amy. <laughs> but, but here's the question about Clara. Yeah. In retrospect, does the rough period with her at the beginning even matter now? Because they... No, not at all. I don't think yeah. so at all. Yeah. I mean, it almost kind of reminds me of like... Uh, like this is a companion, but for Sylvester McCoy's era as the Doctor is really awkward because you have the first his first season like his characterization is almost completely different because they had him be really slapsticky and funny all the time I cannot imagine that yeah <laughs> that's weird but then in his last two seasons they do a complete turn with that character and they make him really dark they make him they, they bring a huge amount of mystery back to him that like sort of belies the you know question mark umbrella and the question mark sweater vest but he's like actually mysterious you don't understand what he's doing you know, they bring in Ace, who is, I still think, is probably the best companion the show has ever had. And, like, you know, there's this sense that's like, well, it doesn't matter that the first season he had is just, like, this weird, like, what the fuck? Like, in retrospect, his first season is really bizarre, but it doesn't touch on the later stuff. It's like, because they figured their shit out, and they stuck with it. And I feel like that's kind of like with Clara's, like, her half season that she had, her characterization is just, like, bland and nothing. But for this season, like, they figured their fucking shit out, and she's a really fucking good companion. And I think in retrospect, even now that you can look at it as a whole, this obviously was not planned or intentional, but I think you could watch her entire run on the show up to now and even maybe see the logic of how she got to this point. Sure. In that the Twelfth Doctor, I think, is the kind of character who kind of pushed her to become a more assertive person. Yeah. And a more and interesting a more, person. Yeah, and a more interesting character. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, and that's part of the problem is that the way I mean, this is this is part of the problem of how they kept Amy and Rory around as long as they did. Yeah, is that it made Matt Smith's Doctor so dependent on them that whoever the next companion was, it was going to be reactionary. Mm-hmm. And I think there are individual episodes and moments where I like the dynamic they have, where it's just this kind of joy of friendship. But you can't build an arc on that, mm-hmm. and that was the problem. And I yeah. think there are individual moments that work, arc doesn't. And then when you get into this, there's actual challenge again. This Doctor doesn't just automatically need this person in his life to rehabilitate himself. He yeah. needs her in his life because she's valuable as a human being. Like, I wonder if going back and watching that, like, episodes from that half season with Matt Smith and Clara will almost feel like when you watch the last two episodes of Peter Davison's run where his companion was Perry. Those are the only two episodes where his companion is Perry. And then Perry is the Sixth Doctor's companion for almost his whole run. So she is so absolutely a Sixth Doctor companion so yeah. when you watch her with Peter Davison, like you take, you do like this double take of like, oh wait, fuck, right, yeah, no, she's the companion in Caves of Androsani. Like she's with him for like this one episode, which works really well there, because there's like this weird distance between the Doctor and the companion, because it's like they're only there for, together for this like really short, kind of unfulfilling amount of time, and it's just like what Matt Smith and Clara's have now. This is like. She doesn't seem like she's the 11th Doctor's companion to me at all now when I think yeah. about it. Like, she's like, she has that, like, weird sort of, like, ancillary position in his transition, but then she's just the 12th Doctor's companion. You know, yeah. that's, like, who she's paired with. Absolutely. It's, it's uh, the modern equivalent, I think, of that, actually, is that it's weird to think that River Song was introduced with the 10th Doctor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really jarring when you go back and see David Tennant with Alex Kingston. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing. I mean,. Let's let's talk about our final thoughts on this season. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they did they did a lot of stuff well. Yeah, I think it's a fucking great season. Like it it dropped the ball at the end, but to me that doesn't really matter. Like I'm interested in getting a lot of really good episodes of Doctor Who 
and I think this like the ratio of really good episodes for this season is fucking spectacular and when they're good like like I said like that fucking mummy and flatline and also listen like those are three spectacular episodes of Doctor Who well the breakdown would be seven good to five bad if we yeah. wanna if we're throwing uh, that would be the ba- on the bad side that would be deep breath kill the moon forest of the night and the two part finale yeah. And those seven that are good are really good. It's not yeah. like that was decent. It's that's a really good episode of yeah, Doctor And Who. even the bad ones, like Kill the Moon is really frustrating, but it's still got a lot of good stuff. Like it's like I think yeah. we said that when we reviewed it. This is like it's it's an episode that's like in the other seasons of Doctor Who, like it would be kind of fine. It's only like in this one that's like you get really frustrated at it. It interrupts the qualitative flow of the season, maybe, but it's not one I'll skip when I rewatch the season. Exactly. Like I've like it's got enough good stuff in it that I'm happy to see it, you know. Yeah. And I think the same basic thing about Forest of the Night. So yeah. you can up that to that middle nine is a really good run of Doctor Who. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's you know, it's bookended by some really awful Doctor Who. But yeah. that, you know, that middle portion is, is really good. And as you say, Doctor Who does live and die by that individual episode quality. And this season, I think, proved that more than ever. Yeah, exactly. Like, And not only that you got, like... You know, you, you got your own, your good individual episodes, but it also, this season, so much of it felt really fresh. Like, it felt like, you know, they found a lot of interesting things to do. Like, I think in particular, one of the revelations of this season is, like, a lot of the direction for the episodes has been fucking spectacular. Like, a lot yeah. of the episodes have looked really, really good. Yeah, and not, and it's interesting because I think we talked a lot about how these uh, last two Matt Smith seasons looked really good more on an effects level more than anything else yeah. and that the production value just was going up and up and up and I think it's less that this season than it is just there was clever direction there was clever cinematography yeah. a good eye for things it's more of that almost like you know film cinematic analysis side of things that yeah. they got better like Flatline which is that's not an episode that I think cost a lot to make yeah. it's just so ingeniously directed yeah like it's just it feels like you're watching it and you, you don't feel like you're watching a TV show you know yeah. like you you're feel like it might as well be a movie for the way it's directed. Right. Yeah. Man. So, best episode? Fuck. Probably Mummy. I yeah. would say Mummy would probably be my best episode. I have, like, Flatline is a real special place in my heart because I think, like, the idea for that episode is just so fucking cool. And they but follow think, up on it. It's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. But I think Mummy is probably, like, beat for beat probably is the best episode this season. Yeah, I think I think it's the best episode this season, too. I think... You know, in terms of when I was just watching it and reacting to it, it was the caretaker for me. But I think when you really like, you think about the episodes more, you discuss them more. I mean, Mummy was the best discussion I think we had in of an yeah, episode this yeah. year because it gives you the most to talk about. Mm. And I also, I just, I have to wonder a little bit if something like the caretaker, because of how Danny centric it is and the romance with her and Clara, is that going to be muddled at all by the where that ended up? When I don't you go think back so. Like I think it? that that episode's probably still just so much fun. It like, is. The performances are so good. That's the thing, like, if this real, I don't, I wouldn't mind them doing an ending where Danny dies, I guess. It would just have to be yeah. done better than this. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to assume maybe he'll come back. If he doesn't, that's just, this whole season built to something way too dark and sad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's almost kind of like when Rory just, like, is kind of just gone in Angels Take Manhattan. It's just like, if you just end it with Danny, like, the last thing we saw of Danny was, like, the doctors being like, Go! Like, he flies up into the sky and explodes. Like, what? No, that's not. That's so dumb. Like, that can't be the resolution for this character. All right. So we just talked about the best episode. Pick the worst. Oh fuck. Um. I know mine. You want me to start? Yeah, I mean, it would be this finale. It's death in heaven. The... It's death in yeah, heaven. Easily because, like, 
honestly, I probably actually got more angry at Kill the Moon, but it's Kill the Moon's not a worst episode. It's just like personally, like I just got mad at it. But this one is really bad. It's and I think it's so it's bad. because this is one that has more weight on it. And yeah. it's honestly, this was the most excruciating to watch. Just if I disconnect everything else, mm. this episode annoyed me the most in just watching. I thought this was bad television. Um, but you know. It's also that level of, again, this could potentially mar some things the season did well. It's it's that level of they dropped the ball on things I was really excited to see them get right. And that's disappointing. I, I think you could also pick deep breath for what a bad taste it put in your mouth after that first episode. But they they switch from that so fast it almost yeah, doesn't matter. And then like, I feel like deep breath has enough good stuff in it to me at least that's like... Like Death in Heaven doesn't... like It has like the the last scene is kind of good... But it's not like, but that's such a small moment, you yeah. know. That like doesn't, and it's also like I feel like it's a moment that's good intellectually, but like the only way it really works is if the rest of the episode worked. Whereas like I feel like Deep Breath, it's really good scenes kind of just work on their own because they're like so off away from the plot, you know. That's very true, very true. It's yeah, it's a weird thing. This was this was kind of a weird season ultimately yeah. too because like, it'll how... be really weird when I marathon this season and rewatch Deep Breath and like have fucking like Madame Vostra and shit in there. It's like what the fuck is this? Like there's such they, a relic. Yeah, of a there's different... such a re- like a holdover from the Matt Smith era that like they stayed way too long in that era. Anyways, hopefully they never come back. Hopefully we've seen the last of those characters and you can like maybe you... have like Strax come back for like a joke one time. I'd be I, kind of happy for here's it. Here's the thing: I like that you say they stayed way too long because they basically that team comes in eight episodes from the end of his run. Well, kind of, I mean, they're in Good Man you, Goes to War. But they don't come up again yeah, until Snowman. Yeah. Like, and then in their actual like final characterizations. But I agree. Yeah, they but stayed like, too but long. Yeah, like, they could maybe have come up in Snowman and that would have been fine just there. They should never have come back. Yeah. Because none of the times they come back are good. Yeah. In fact, they're all... Those are all bad episodes with yeah. Crimson Horror... And Name of the Doctor, Doctor. and Deeper... Boy, we're naming some shitty episodes. Remember when Ginny died in Name of the Doctor and they just bring her back? Remember that with that character? What? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets killed in Name of the Doctor and they just bring her back like ten minutes later. I actually... Jenny, I forgot who you're talking about. Yeah, no. Because it's Jenny and... Well, you know, uh, Madame Vosch's wife. I think they're married. They're probably married. I think they're at least in some sort of lesbian relationship, but they're probably married. They're married. What? Yeah. Did they mention this? I don't think so. I think they left it really subtle. I think they, they wanted the well, the audience to sort of like piece that out from some if, subtle hints and clues. If and Stephen Moffat is known for anything, it's his subtlety. Yeah. And it's also, you know, really well pacing out his episodes and like letting them breathe. He's so good at that. I just, you know, the dude has talent. He needs yeah. to learn how to channel it. Yeah, like I, it's it's just such a bummer that like season finales in Doctor Who have to be so bad all the time, you know? Because they really like the track record, pretty fucking miserable when you look at yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, let's look at this. So let's do Modern Who really quick. Season yeah. one, I think the finale has a lot of great stuff in it, minus yeah. the bad wolf stuff. Yeah, but even then, like it's like season one's a good finale, but it has like a, yeah. yeah, it's kind of up and down, and then the end of it's just. Distasteful to me. Well, the Bad Wolf stuff is dumb, but I like the final moments between the Ninth Doctor and Rose. Yeah, the last that's scene. Yeah. The last scene is good, but yeah, like a, the resolution of the story is dumb. There's plenty of good stuff in there. The yeah. season two finale is awful. Season yeah. three finale is really awful. Oh, super bad. The season four finale has a bunch of good stuff and a bunch of messy yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's super stuffed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. David Tennant's actual exit episode is great, but the preceding <laughs> episode is terrible. terrible yeah. So who knows what the hell you make of that? It's uh, like, uh, Season five, fantastic yeah, finale. Yeah, very good finale. Season six, six, what the fuck? Oh my god! What season seven, kind of just there. Yeah, name of the doctor is really 
Name of the Doctor is not a good episode. Also, doesn't feel like a finale because it's just the episode just kind of stops and then waits for the 50th anniversary to come around. Yeah. What's your question? What's the worst finale of all of these that we're naming? Oh, I mean, I would have to say the third seasons. That that one just because yeah. that's that's a weird one to me though because it. I think Utopia is a good episode. Yeah, Utopia is a very good episode. I think the next one has a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah. And it's just, it starts high and yeah. just down. Remember that down, whole down. episode where, like, the fucking human race has been, like, subjugated by the master and, like, the human race from the future or whatever the fuck that was? Yeah. And then Martha walks, like, the whole planet spreading the message of the Doctor. And then the power of everybody's, like, faith for the Doctor and love of the Doctor turns him into, like, a Super Saiyan and he defeats the master? Yeah. What the fuck? Like, that's... When you talk about, like, Doctor Who getting crazy, like, that's legitimately probably the weirdest thing Doctor Who has ever done. Yeah, no, that actual finale, that last part of the three-parter is the worst. But, you know, I will say this. I, I prefer, like, the, you know, one of the Russell T. Davies finales, like, season two or season four, to one of these overstuffed Stephen Moffat ones. Yeah, I think... I think Season one, two, and four all have better finales than... Five, six... Or six, yeah, seven, eight. Six, seven, eight, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Well, we'll see what happens next. Luckily, we don't have that long to wait for the Christmas special. Yeah. Which, that should be fun. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it. I hope it's good. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with... You know, it's... I don't think they've ever done Santa Claus on Doctor Who. I'm trying to think. I don't think they've ever literally had Santa Claus pop up. And they've never had Nick Frost prop up. That's so true, I'm, yeah. I am happy. I'm going to be happy with it no matter yeah. what because it's got Nick Frost in it. And there was something that kind of like warmed my heart in this episode that they brought back that weird Russell T. Davis thing of having the end, like the season finale lead into the Christmas special in like this yes. like incredibly bizarre oh. and intrusive way. Like they should have just had Nick Frost burst through the wall of the TARDIS <laughs> like the Titanic at the end of season three. <laughs> like the Kool-Aid guy. Yes. <laughs> No, that would have been great. Ho, ho, ho! <laughs> like, he flies his sleigh yeah. into it. Like, I really, I think it would have been great. Like, the episode should have, like, ended on, like, cutting back to Peter Capaldi after Nick Frost walks in and just going, What? And then cutting there. <laughs> but his reaction shot was pretty great. Yeah, yeah he's... Peter he Capaldi re- gives a good reaction shot. Yeah, it's like, that was one of the great things about the end of uh, the Dark Water episode was, like, when he finds out that Missy's the master, like, his expression on the face of, like, yeah. that just... Like, that's, like, in, like one that you could just, like, take that screenshot and just, like, put, oh, shit, at the bottom. And just, like... Great when, Yeah, whenever something, like, really just traumatizing happens in your life, you just, like, pull that out and just, like... Because that conveys more of that emotion than any other human being possibly could. Yes. So, things to look forward to at Christmas. I'm yeah. a little disappointed they already use Simon Pegg, so they can't have Simon Pegg as, like, the head elf for Nick Frost Santa. That's right. I totally forgot yeah. that he's in the first season. Because <laughs> it's, like, before he was famous yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he I hope they bring him back one day. He can play a different character. It's fine. That's fucking right. No, the, I forgot this. The finale to season one starts off with them going back to the like the reality yeah. show thing. Mm-hmm. Fuck. New Who's really weird. Like, <laughs> New as, Who is really like weird. as when you, I mean, when you look at Doctor Who in its entirety, like you think that like the old shit from like the '60s would be like the corniest, lamest part of the show. I don't think it is. Like I think legitimately, a lot of the places that New Who goes. Or like, can get so dumb, it's kind of unbelievable. But yet, Series 8 was a year of defying expectations. Exactly. Like, they, like that's one of the things that, like, when I say it reminds me of Classic Who, like, I think it does it in a really good way of, like, it going back to, like, the core of the show. But, like, not necessarily, you know, like, making all the sets wobble and shit, but, like, the yeah. core ideas of the show and, like, who the Doctor is as a character and what, like, how you write the episodes and what the episodes are about. 
feels like it's like that's what this season is like it's like like fuck yeah like this is fucking Doctor Who motherfucker absolutely I completely agree yeah so you know good se- definitely a very good season on the whole it's 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 this weird thing where I think this is why the show needs to get really take that you know arcing out of it because it wants you to view it as this kind of full cohesive season but it doesn't work on that level yeah absolutely not so you have to view it on this different level which is a valid level yeah but it's yeah the show needs to just take stock of its strengths and weaknesses and you know what I would give them the benefit of the doubt after this because clearly they did that before this season yeah yeah they didn't take stock of all of the strengths and weaknesses but they really ironed a lot of things out yeah I mean Especially when you compare this season to, like, season seven, it's oh, yeah. kind of, like, crazy, like, how much better it is. I still, I hold that, like, season seven box set I have in my hands, and I don't know what it is. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. I don't know what's in there. It's so weird. Yeah. It starts with the fucking Doctor Wish in the Wardrobe episode. Oh, God. I mean, what's going on? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, season eight, like, a fucking, I think, overall, an incredible start for a great, great, great new Doctor Who. So. Absolutely. And you can only really be happy about that. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm, you know, I'm. Just, I don't care that this finale was really shit. Like, I'm super stoked it's, for like getting to watch the Christmas special. It's been a good year to be a Doctor Who fan. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We will. I think we can be back next week. You doing anything next weekend? I have no idea. Oh, we'll I find might out. Be, I might not be. Okay. Well, we'll see. If if we have time, we'll do one next week. Yeah. Probably talk about Assassin's Creed Unity. See what else is going on. I uh, did not talk about movies this week because we just didn't have time. But I think I'll do that next week. There's so many movies. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. All right. So that's it. Doctor Who. Yay. Okay. Here's. Okay. This is one thing I forgot to mention. It's like I feel like we need like a swear jar for Stephen Moffat, but a Doctor Who jar. I have to say, he in in Dark Water, the Doctor said Doctor Who. He pulled like Peter Capaldi pulled it off better than Matt Smith did, but he still said it. So I like someone needs to just kick Stephen Moffat in the shin every time he does that. Also, every time he writes in like the Doctor kisses someone, someone should just like slap him in the face or something because it's not. It's you either put like a quarter in the fucking swear jar because it's not good. Doctor Who.